As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. So here we are again. We thought we'd go back and do some more uh, gambling stories and cons- stories around casinos and whatever else back pops up. Back to our up. bread and butter. Back to the bread and butter. The, the, the ageless stuff. Yeah. So Josh is on daddy duties again. So we brought Duncan back in because uh, Duncan the donkey degenerate, he, <laughs> when, when these stories come out, they just... Uh, we're, you just we're adding another D moniker every time he comes on. First yeah. it was just uh, Dunk the degenerate poker player. Now we got Dunk the donkey degenerate poker player. Well, I, I believe that I'm referring to... a. a uh, on name uh, online pseudonym yeah two plus two donk yeah. dunk donk dunk there dunk. you go I knew it was along those lines I yeah. might as well say it before anybody else does right yeah that's the most basic trap you can set yeah it's putting <laughs> donk in your, your handle exactly right um, we are just saying before we press record that uh, you know sharing around the Peronis here and I had a, a good story about Peroni in that my best night ever at Crown it's one of those nights just things are working and you know you're up on chips and everything's going well and um, it was my turn to shout towards the end of the night. So I got myself a Red Bull. I'm like, Dunks, you need a beer? He goes, yeah, grab a Peroni. I'm like, yeah, grab a Peroni too to the to the waitress and always pay by chips. If I'm playing poker, I'm paying by chips because yeah. cash stays in the pocket. And uh, was, I remember it because it was eight bucks for a Peroni. I'm like, geez, that's, that's rough for a fucking beer. Anyway, you know, whatever, we're up good. So anyway, we finish up probably 15 minutes later and I'm counting up my chips. 993. <laughs> <laughs> that last Peroni cost me the, the dime night. And the best thing about paying in chips is that you see other poker players just lose their money that you, they've lost to you for good. Yep. <laughs> like, those chips are gone. So if, you, if you're playing, again, in Vegas, it's even worse because pe- people are frequently getting table massages. And oh, table yeah. massages, they can burn through 100 bucks in less than an hour. Damn. And you're going, you motherfucker, that's <laughs> yeah. my money. That was my check <laughs> I raise, paid bitch. for that. Was that massage good? I paid for that. There's no happy endings anywhere. Yeah, people say poker's supposed to be fun. <laughs> what I don't do, though, Rocksteady, is I never pay, use chips to pay for um, drinks or anything at the table. Yep. I always use cash out my pocket for, for exactly the reason of you fell $7 short that time. <laughs> ah, yeah. But yeah, I've got my rules. So I stick to them. Once it becomes poker money, it's poker money. And, you know, the drinks and that shit and shouting, you know, uh, floozies across the table. <laughs> yeah. That's just all part of it. It's the cost of playing poker. It's the cost of playing and poker. When you're trying to clean money, you need to get checks. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> um, and also, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's ball. It's like, yeah, see these chips? I don't need them. Yeah, I'm good. I'm yeah. easy without them. 
Um, so we thought if we go straight back into the mahogany room stories, there was one that we teased last time that we didn't get to. Oh yeah, you've got biggest players and then you've got best players. Yeah. So you've got biggest players who will bet the most, but they're never usually there for very long. They usually come and they'll have their maybe two weeks to a couple of months or whatever, and then they'll move on. But um, the one thing that Crown was always known for around the world in sort of high roller circles was that their customer service was the best. Even though their facilities always powered in comparison to Vegas and Macau. It was always, you could pretty much go to Crown and they will look after you with the best service and you don't have to tip them, which is always a, an advantage. Now, one thing we, we were always mentioning names, uh, naming names on the last one. Um, now, when it comes to a legit billionaire, I'm kind of um, reserved. You mentioned yeah. names? No. So, Mr. X? Mr. X will do, yeah. Yeah. And especially, I like the guy as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> and he lives in Melbourne and he's a good person. And he's one of the players where gambling was his one vice. He didn't cheat on his missus. He didn't drink. He just loved cigars and gambling. And that's it. And the first time he came in was unannounced. He just walked in, had some money. Actually, just to get into the country... He had trouble because um, when he was going to customs, they looked at him, looked at he was here for, I think it was a couple of months or something, didn't have any money on him, and so they thought he was coming here to work. And so they've looked at him, they've gone, nah, you have to come over, we think you're here to work, so you have to interview with someone. Yep. And he's looking at him, speak no English, and he's like, all right, obviously I'm not here to work. So he's gone to him with just one minute, one minute. And he's walked over to the tax-free, uh, duty-free um, jeweler. Yep. And he's bought the biggest diamond they've got. Right. And so he's walked across with this huge diamond going, look, I've got money. I ain't here to work. <laughs> like, I'm good. All right, paint a picture about Mr. X. Like, um, Just in case you're worrying, Heath, Heath um, I don't know any billionaires, so I won't be calling anybody Mr. Y, Mr. Z, <laughs> Mr. A, Mr. B. Yeah, so he's a self-made, well, as self-made as you can be in China, I guess. You always need some help from the party, I would imagine. So, um fans of the Silicon Valley TV show, a legit member of the Three Comma Club. Yeah, 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 exactly. And like he, he couldn't lose more than he was making on an hourly basis, Yeah, basically. Easy. So his interest wasn't making money, it was just having a good time and he just loved being in Australia. He didn't really spend a whole lot of time in China and he's from Shanghai as well. And it's almost like, well, I don't know anything about, I've never been to China, but it seems like Shanghai have that particular piece of pride about being from Shanghai. And a little bit of lingo that they have, I don't know. Maybe it's like being from Queensland and having that same Bogan accent or something. I don't know. <laughs> but whenever he was there, if there was a waitress from Shanghai, then that was his waitress and they'd come in. And um, So anyway, after he convinced um, Customs that he wasn't here to work, just went and kept the receipt, returned the diamond. <laughs> it goes through. But anyway, he walked straight in and um, no one knew who he was. And he's going to walk into what wasn't uh, a private area, but was sort of a private public area, if that makes sense, where it's higher limits and generally if you're annoying the player at the table, they might ask you just to go to a different table or maybe they'll open one up for you or whatever. But he had no sort of standing. He just had some cash and, and put it up in his account and that's all they knew. And he apparently got treated like shit. Right. <laughs> so they just didn't give him any attention, sort of, you know, you're allowed to be in this area. And so he's just made it a point just to go, all right, well, fuck you guys because I'm here for long haul. I've just bought a house here. Yep. So, you know, you're not going to get rid of me that easy. And so I remember for the first maybe three years, he was always the biggest cunt to the staff, like always very demanding, really? very sort of particular about how he wanted his game dealt. And the thing is, each high roll has their own little idiosyncrasies in how they like the game dealt, which way they like the cards turn, whether they like it done fast, slow, yep. whether they want you to squeeze them. And 
they won't necessarily abide by the rules in a strict sense. So, oh fuck no! When it comes to the high rollers, yeah, they, they will where I play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but for the high rollers, that's the thing is that they don't stick by the rules at all. If they want to squeeze both sets of cards, you can squeeze both sets of cards as long as you know you squeeze them one at a time. And the dealer's got a set of the house cards, and then they yep. give the players cards back and give them the house cards. They'll squeeze them. So he made it a point to let them know that he was the man. And eventually, they found out who he was, and they're like, "Oh shit, shit! <laughs> like this guy's legit." And so he'd always get his own salon. <clears throat> And um, eventually, after a while, he became pretty relaxed. And the thing is, he never wins, ever. But he always comes back for the service. And so many times, though, that they look forward to him going to Vegas because he'd always win in Vegas. And, and so he go over to Vegas back. and then just dump it all back. But um, the one thing that he would do was that being a rich, successful businessman, he understood the value of looking after his employees and things like that. Yeah. And so he'd make a point of looking after the staff that was working for him. And... Um, when you say the staff working for him, do you mean literally his staff? Oh, no, no. He'd have his own sort of crew, if that makes sense, where he had the dealer that he liked that knew how to deal to him. And I'm guessing for someone like that, it's a real inconvenience to have to explain to someone new again yep. how to fucking duel that game. And they also believe in luck as well. So if one dealer just gave him a hiding for the whole time, generally they were gone, they were done. Very Chinese. Yeah, yeah. But also he liked having a fun game. He was very interactive, so which is very rare because most of the time they're very standoffish, don't want you to talk, basically want you to shut the fuck up and just yeah. deal cards. And if they're not good cards and it's your fault, you can fuck off. Yep. But as long as you're having fun and he can see that you're not on his side, but you're a decent person. And he was very good at assessing people without having to communicate through language, if that yep. makes sense. Um, so I, I was like, I was one of his main dealers at the start, but then I went part-time. So I was sort of like, uh, if I was working on a weekend, I'd be in there first change or whatever. More yeah. or less. I was always on deck. And um, what he did one time was that we'd been giving him lots of, lots of cash and he had a really good time there. I think he might have been down for the trip overall, but it was always there or thereabouts, like winning a little bit or losing a little bit. It wasn't just a complete downhill. So win a little bit or lose a little bit, what does that mean for him? Uh, well, his bets, he would have a... In Baccarat, you've got a differential. So it's not a set bet like Blackjack where they say you can bet 20 to $5 and that's it. They have a differential because Baccarat's a game of heads or tails where um, you've got two sets of cards dealt out Um if it's not in a private room, they dealt face up in front of the dealer. Yep. Before the cards are dealt out, you get to bet on which hand you think is going to win. One's called the play hand and one's called the banker hand. But that's not to mean that the players can only bet on the play hand. Like they can bet on the banker hand if they want. Yep. And if it's a tie, then it's a push. So you don't lose your money. So it's better odds than betting on black or red on roulette. Because if zero comes up, then all then the outsiders loses, lose. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that gives Casino the edge is that for face up Baccarat, which is the ones you'll play on the main floor, if the dealer wins with a total of six then you get paid at half price. So you lose. Okay. You won't. You only win half of what you bet. Yep. On the high roller rooms, um, banker pays 5% commission on every bet. So every bet the, win, the bank wins, they get 95% of whatever their bet was. Yeah. So you, if you bet 100, you win 195. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. exactly. And that's the hardest part for dealers is that when you're looking at that, you've got to work out what 5% is, then minus it off the bet and then pay it out. And if it's 100 bucks, that's easy. But when it's like yeah. 237,700, yeah. It takes a bit of thinking. You're not those calculators at all. And these people aren't patient people. They're not happy to wait. Funny that. So you've got to figure out how to do it straight away in your head and get it right. Because they don't like to wait, but they don't like getting ripped off either, funnily enough. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah, so most times with him, it was like a couple of strikes and you're out, you're done. And anyway, so he finally, after a few years, he's got his crew sorted out. He's got his pit bosses that he likes. He's got the game run to how he wants it. And he pretty much paid for the renovation of bike himself. And that's like legit. He really did. Was he the one that moved in there and paying for his kids' education? They probably still are, yeah. 
and they used to be well ahead, yeah. well ahead. So, so there was a story in the age about the total losses that that gentleman had mm. about two years ago because he had just gone through the record for, known record for any individual to any individual casino. Yeah, it, um, if that was two years ago, it probably would be him. The guy who originally had that record would bet a lot. He's but um, apparently he was a really, really nice person and he dumped a fuckload of cash, like a fuckload of cash. And what happened was that for some reason, his photo ended up on the front page for a crown-related story with whoever was the president or one of the high-up managers for a story related to crown that wasn't related to him. And obviously being on the front of the Herald Sun, that got him really, really nervous and he never came back. So he, he was the holder. And if that's got broken in the last two years, it would have been this guy. So I think the figure was something like, and I'm drag, dragging this from the dredges of memory, but it was yeah. something like 742 million. Yeah, that'd be that'd be about right. Yeah. So a, a good or a bad day, where we started with that, yeah, it could go, you know, a couple. Either of way, yeah. yeah. But but when your your business back home is probably there or thereabouts, and yeah. and like I said, his main part was I want to have fun while I'm here because I don't cheat on my missus, I don't do anything else. This is my vice. This is my one little. He's not trying to make a quit out of it. Yeah, exactly. He's just blowing off steam. Yeah, exactly. And so one time he's he's had a good day, um, sun setting, he's feeling fantastic, and he's sitting there. And he's like, I'm gonna take all you out for dinner, and this is all through a translator as well. He had a, a bodyguard which. We actually named Kevin from Kevin Costner, the bodyguard. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no of course. idea what his name is, but we just called him Kevin. And so then he started calling him Kevin. And he used to always say, this dude was old. He looked like he's about 50, like the bodyguard. It's maybe about 6'2", 6'3". Right. And you look at him and think he's not much. But he'd always say, if you can beat him, you got his job. <laughs> <laughs> so just that was enough for you like, yeah, hey, I don't mind dealing cards actually. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with this, this $25 an hour, whatever it was. And so, yeah, he's gone the translator up, taking you away for dinner, where you want to go. And straight away, in Australia, you're not allowed to take uh, gratuities. So that means tips or tips, yeah. anything. Um, pretty hard to enforce. Uh, pretty arbitrary when they do enforce it. But um, So straight away, the pit boss is like, we're probably not going to be allowed to, but should we make the phone call? Just because, especially to these people, you don't say no, ever. Because you're on a loose face. Yeah, exactly. And so it's always passing on someone else and they'll say no and they're not directly there. And they can complain about them to you. And so eventually, they've rang up the supervisor who was on and um, he was a person that was really good at not making any decisions ever and still keeping his job. <laughs> One of those people that liked to hide whenever there was any decision to be made. I think we've worked in a corporate environment, Duncan and I. Yeah, 95% of people have got yeah. that skill. We know exactly. a lot of people, yeah. Yeah. And um, so... I've, I've struggled with that. I tend to <laughs> pop my head up all the time. Yeah. yeah. And so they've um, rang him up and he's gone, yeah, no, you can't do that. And so they've related to him. They've gone, yeah, sorry, you know, we're not allowed to. We're not allowed to take maturities. And through his translator and through Hanson, he looked at, looked at the pit boss and he's gone, who'd you, who'd you talk to? And they've told him who it was and he doesn't know the names of people because he doesn't speak English. And so he's done an impression of him and this dude had a, a pockmarked face right. and, and <laughs> real chubby, round cheeks, uh, kind of portly. And so he stood up and done this impression of him, like pointing to his face, like the dots on there, real solemn look and gone, no, was it that guy? And the pit boss has gone, well, yeah, it was that guy. And so he's gone, ah, and he shook his finger. He's gone, no, it's all right. I'll take care of it. <laughs> and so he's got the the host who was his host. His name's <laughs> It was a good dude as well. Um, and he's just giving him the hugest spray. And obviously, since he doesn't speak English, the supervisors in there at least had to be one that spoke Mandarin so they could translate what he's saying. Yeah. And so we're sitting at the table, watching him on the couch, give the host a spray and they translate it for us. 
And he's like, all right, he's told us, why do you, I have to look after your staff when you don't? Um, they've had put on a great day for me and you're not even going to allow me to buy them dinner. He goes, if you don't allow me to buy them dinner, I'm leaving on the next flight to China. And I've got no doubt that he wouldn't have done that because he might like us, but he likes gambling more. <laughs> but he knew the we're not going to take that risk that he's getting on a flight. They're never going to call that bluff. Yeah. There's no, there's no upside for Exactly them. right. And like, obviously he knows that. He's not silly. And so he just sat down with this big shit-eating grin, like hung up the phone and gone, <laughs> just wait, just wait. It's all good. It reminds me of um, something Joe Rogan said. Like yeah. when you get to a certain station, like you can have fuck you money. Mm. But part of, being part of that is also you can make fuck you decisions, which yeah. is just, you can say yes or no to things just because, no, fuck you, I don't need it. Yeah. He's there. I yeah. mean, he, that's his life, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And smart enough to know how to use it without even speaking the language. Yeah. Like, he's very good at understanding people, which I guess is what made him very good at his job. Pretty good at charades, too, by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and so he's going, all right, just wait. And would have been three minutes. Pit Boss gets a phone call back. All right, you can go out to dinner, but you are not to tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, where are we going? Silks. We're not going to Silks. We're not going to Silks. It's, you know, it's expensive, but it's you know not really that good. So we started to go to the teppanyaki place um, downstairs. I thought, if I remember the story, I thought you ended up in the private dining room at number eight. No, it wasn't number eight. It was near number eight, but... Oh, fuck. It's funny enough, because I know not, a restaurant... No, not Nobu. No, not Nobu. There's another one. It's got like a pebble garden in the middle of it with a fountain. Uh, thing is i never called it by its name because i knew the head chef he now actually is head chef of mclaren and he travels with okay. them around okay for their fun circuit i feel like it starts with l coco coco's that's the one that begins with l yeah oh yeah. okay <laughs> i was l, in the neighborhood there's a mexican place called el coco el coco, <laughs> el coco. <laughs> and so we've gone now we'll go to coco it's good we'll go see jimmy down at coco and jimmy knew jimmy who used to be the chef at coco who's now the chef for mclaren f1 team I was working there and he was someone that I always saw on my breaks and he loved to bet. And so he'd bet on AFL and he bet on F1. And so we always had a chat. Yep. And so I've gone, yeah, we'll go see Jimmy. He's a good bloke. And we'll do some teppanyaki or whatever it was. And so I've gone, all right, the ring down for reservation. And in Coco, they've got two private little salons with sliding doors. And it's got your own little teppanyaki chef in there. Actually got two where they would be back to back and bench seating. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, so he rang down and gone, yep, um, Mr. X is coming in for dinner with, I think it was like 20 people or whatever big our staff was at that point. And they've gone, oh, actually, the salons are full. And so they've gone, hang up the phone, gone, oh, sorry, the salons are full, you know, got to go somewhere else. And he's looked at them again, shook his finger. <laughs> nah, nah, not today. And so he's rang up uh, his host again, yep. giving him the hugest brain <laughs> again. Poor, poor was having a pretty shit day when he cops it a lot in these stories. <laughs> and so we've sat down, we're like, all right, how's this one going to play out? And so he threw the translator again. All right, he's, he's got to put him through to the manager of Coco and he's told them to go and ask the people in the salon that if they can finish up, uh, I think it was 8.30 and the time now was 7 o'clock. Right. He goes, that, that he'll pay for their meal. And so... So he's given him one of the one of the expensive restaurants in Crown yeah. in the expensive part of the expensive <laughs> restaurant. Yeah. Giving him an hour and a half to say, yeah. rack up your bill. Yeah. I'll pay for your meal. And... These people must have been thinking, is this for real? Like, this is almost like finding a lotto ticket or something. Yeah. And so, of course, they've gone, yes. All right, we'll do that. <laughs> Show me the wine list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bring it on. But there must be... I'll like, look at the right-hand column for a change. Yeah. Yeah. Show me the wine list and get rid of those fucking buy-the-glass shit at the front. <laughs> the is, I wish we had a cross-pass with these people as they were leaving or something so I could ask them, what, what did you guys think when that phone call came through? 
Because there must be some part of you that's hesitant, like, this is a trap. Like, is there a point where it's going to be too much? Am I going to run up a 12 grand bill and have to pull out your credit card? (laughs) Yeah. Of course, they wouldn't have known that this dude doesn't give a fuck. He just wants that space. That's it. Price, don't care. And so eventually we filed down there. Yep. Lo and behold, it's empty. We've got Jimmy there and he's offsider. And um, we sat down. And generally, you've got your host and you've got your head of host. And they'll, they'll sort of pop in to see how their players are doing. But when they're gambling, generally, they're going missing. All of a sudden, with a free meal on the table, <laughs> we've got us, the dealing staff, the supervisors, and all of a sudden, all the hosts and the head of um, concierge or whatever the blowjob givers are. Have, <laughs> <laughs> that's what hosting is. Hosting is giving out blowjobs, really, in a metaphorical sense, and sometimes, sometimes in a literal yeah, sense, well. I'm guessing. And so they come in and sat down. And as soon as they sat down, obviously, we know we're doing something wrong already because we're not allowed to get gratuities. Yeah. And they're like superiors to us according to them and so you're out of uniform at least yeah yeah, yeah. exactly and they're in uniform actually so yeah fuck those cunts <laughs> <laughs> and so, surf me bitch yeah so all of us have just quietened down and we're sort of sitting there eating our food and they're trying to run the conversation and so he's gone to again <laughs> he's pulled him aside he's like so going, all right all right and Mickey, who that was, brings a new meaning to the word Chinese whispers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so Mickey, By the time it got back to you, what did it fucking translate to? <laughs> well, actually, uh, uh, no. I think I think when he whispers, the message gets across. Yeah. Okay. That's what the thing is. So, gets up, he goes, he has a whisper to the the bosses, and like they've just lit up cigars, just ordered their whatever single malt they were drinking, and all of a sudden you see him put their cigars out. They get up and they're walking out, and we're like, what's going on here? And he was a supervisor who could translate for us he's like asked what's going on he goes oh he told him that um he doesn't want to be here but he didn't want to tell him straight out to himself and so he's told me to tell him more or less to just fuck off and so as soon as they're walking out they shut the sliding doors and all of a sudden he slams hand on the table stands up and he goes in english bosses out <laughs> and we're like the fuck is going on here because we've understood any of this conversations going on all we've seen is we've sat down the bosses have come they've ate drank a little bit and then they've got up and walked out and he's grandstanding about it what the fuck and he's gone he sat down he's gone I can see that obviously you're a bit disturbed by these people being here and you couldn't really be yourself and to be honest I only come here for you guys those guys I didn't even fucking like <laughs> so, so I told him to fuck off and leave us alone and we're like, sweet. <laughs> and so for the rest of the night, we sat down. We would have been there until maybe 11, 30, 12 o'clock. Like they'd finished. The restaurant was yep. empty. And after we finished our main courses, which was had to be at least seven, eight courses. And it was yep. everything. Like abalone, was fuck ton of scampi prawns and anything. Whatever you want to drink is like, I don't care how much you spend, what you want to drink. Just have fun for once because it's the only time you're going to get to do it probably. Yeah. And so the bill we racked up for that meal was 26 grand. Wow. 26K of What did food you treat yourself to drink? Oh, fuck. Who knows? Who really? I don't even know. They brought out things and they went this and I said yes. <laughs> Every time. So I know the whiskey was awesome, but the wine they brought out was amazing. But I don't, not, I don't know much about wine, so I don't know which one it was and I can't remember now. But um, You're knocking back the Louis Trez brandies. Would you, did you probably, ask me if yeah. you could do takeaway? <laughs> they actually gave him takeaway because at the end of the day what they did was they because um, obviously you got teppanyaki so yeah. you'd be cooking everything on the same hot plate and they made a fried rice and mixed up all the scampi heads and mm-hmm. crushed them all in there and then they made him his fried rice and like yeah you can have that later on or in the morning because he only sleeps about four hours and yeah. they might get up and play and then he'll have something to eat and I don't know I don't even know what he does but um 
So they gave him a takeaway fried rice in his little plastic container they took back to his room. <laughs> That's what he got for his 26 grand. Yeah, he was stoked. He was stoked. But the thing is, not only the 26 grand, whatever, the people before that were in there oh, yeah, yeah, had yeah. like an hour and a half to just load up and buy whatever they want. So it wasn't just 26 grand, it was whatever they spent as well, which... It's an amazing like, be more than us. He gave these people, you know, an hour and a half to basically see what they could do. Like um, the restaurant equivalent of supermarket sweepstakes. Yeah. And I reckon he still might have beat them. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On the end bill. Yeah, definitely. And he wouldn't have batted an eyelid. No, no. Yeah. He would not have batted an eyelid. Because especially when you're anything that's in the complex, you can pay for with chips or um, reward points on your cards. On your cards, yeah. And so the thing is with. Um, interstate and international players they offer them incentive programs and that's why you'll see commission play chips I don't know if I explained on the last podcast but in a nutshell yeah what it is for every bet you get a percentage back and the percentage is, is small by on paper so it might be for every bet you get 0.0005% back and that's but it adds up that's fuck all for a $5 bet yeah. but these people can bet up to 600 grand a hand and a lot do for if, long periods of time long periods yeah. of time and that's what, I'm, that's what I mean they stay there for your entire shift they're there before you start and they're there after you leave and they'll do that every single day that you're working you might do a six day stretch and that's just every day that's what you see well I was thinking when, when you started talking about Mr. X like essentially this is just his video games yeah that's like, exactly he's not right. into Call of Duty yeah he's into Call of Blackjack yep pretty much all Call or of Baccarat, Baccarat. Yeah. that's all he plays is Baccarat smokes cigars plays Baccarat has a great time doing it but um, the other thing is he also bought a house here. Like, all his kids are educated here. Um, bought a house in Turak, of course. But so, had- hang on. Kids? Plural? Yeah. Yeah, so that's why he's not in China. I, yeah. th- at this time, I was actually going to uni. Believe me, I checked my, my class list for anyone with his last name. <laughs> <laughs> anyone. I was like, please, please. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he, he had a house in Turak, and it was one off a corner. Yep. And obviously, the big place. And so, when he flattened it and was getting it built, what he did is he got his um, architect and designer to go around to all the casinos that he frequents, which is like the Bellagio in Vegas is one of his favorites. And anyone that had an interesting design they liked, he rang up the casino and was like, look, I've sent some people over, give them my room that I stay in. And so, they, of course, they're like, all right, sweet. We're yeah, done. whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so what he did is he got them to look at the designs he's pointing out and then replicate them in his own home. Wow. But, but to the point where, obviously... You can imagine what sort of respect he demands in a place like China, especially where workforce have zero rights yeah. compared to Australia where we're pretty fucking lazy and, you know. We do all right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And our effort is pretty much determined by reward. <laughs> and so he's looked at the job that some of the um, laborers have done and he's trying to tell him, he's like, look, this one's not quite right. You know, it's not quite the right color or whatever, but I want to change. And gets word back from the boss, nah, this is exactly what you asked for. This is what it is. You know, so we're not going to fix it up. And so what he does, he goes home, gets a hammer, smashes the fuck out of that wall, and goes, <laughs> well, now it needs to be fixed. <laughs> so if you're going to fix it, you may as well do this. <laughs> and uh, when he was extending his, his house, he's tried to buy the house next to him on the corner. Yeah. And this person just wouldn't sell. He's like, look, I'll give you fucking anything. I don't care. Like, whatever yeah. it is, you can buy the house across the road, live in the same neighborhood. I don't give a fuck. I just want that one because he wanted to build a little putting ring. It's like playing golf as well. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, like golf and Celine Dion. That's actually, that's actually quite cold, isn't it? I want to yeah. buy your house because I want a putting green. Yep, yep. But speaking of cold, the dude held out. So what he did is he bought the house next to that guy on the other corner of the block right. and just boxed him in on that corner Beautiful. and built all the way around him. So this dude has to listen to him make chip shots wherever <laughs> he fucking wants. And you can imagine in Turak, he's not going to get bothered too much by anybody. No. Like I'm pretty sure his block's quite big 
And he would have made his putting green right next to this door dude's <laughs> fence, you know, just to piss him off. And so the thing is, once he finishes, or once this guy has had enough and leaves, he's going to have like a par three in two rack or something. <laughs> I remember one of you guys, I think, Heath, you relaying another story from Brenton about another one of the high rollers in the mahogany room receiving a phone call from his wife saying, are you coming home for tea? Or I thought you were coming home for tea. And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be, I'll be home in an hour. Um, and he got off the phone and said, quick, you need to get me the plane. I've got to be home in an hour. Where do, yep. you, li- where do you live? Gold Coast. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that dude. He was actually um, pretty synonymous with having a little uh, lawsuit. Oh, okay. I know you. I, I don't know the guy, but I remember it being yeah, in the papers yeah. a lot. Yeah. And, and that was... See, this is, this is my favorite part of working in casinos was being in the private salons because whenever that salon, whenever the player was in the state, your salon had to be open. So it had to be manned and that table open because they're only ever a helicopter ride away. Yep. And you don't want to make them wait. That all changed when they restructured and they started to spread their staff thin and customer service really suffered from that. But at that point, that's, that's what the, the rule was. And um, this guy, he had a property, so I'm pretty sure... Get a property scam in Queensland. But my favorite part was being in the salons when the players went in there with the old school boys, like the supervisors who never want to be pit boss. Yeah. They were just the old school dudes who were working scenes their whole life. And we'd sit there and just tell stories. Since I was new, I didn't have a whole lot of stories. So I would just <laughs> listen. And stories about this dude were the favorites. Like everyone loved doing this guy because he was fucking hilarious. Yep. But the whole time he was planning to stitch up. Of course, the thing is the staff, the staff on the floor, they don't give a fuck. Like they're in the same boat as everyone else. You know, well, they're like, getting the clocking yeah. in. You just want to, you shift to go without um, exactly without incident. Yeah, and so what they do is they um, told him that you've got a jet whenever you want it. And so his missus thought he was working in in Gold Coast that day, and he'd be like, "No, nah, all right, get the fucking plane ready, guys, I'm coming <laughs> down, all right." And so he'd fly down, he'd start playing, and even his missus was there. She'd want to go do tourist stuff and you know have like a romantic weekend, and so. They'd be in the hotel and she'd wake up in the middle of the night, fucking, where's he gone? And <laughs> the thing is, she'd come down and you'd hear a knock on the salon and all of a sudden he's like, everyone shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. And so the whole salon would have to stay there quiet until she left. And the thing is, she'd walk away and then she'd sneak back. Yep. And all of a sudden, banging the door, like, oh, fuck. What the fuck do you want, bitch? <laughs> and so the staff are like, holy shit. And she'd come in and they just go at it. Like, just fucking, yeah. I'm losing a million fucking dollars. And you're fucking hassling me about not being in better sleep. Fuck it, fuck, fuck this shit. <laughs> and then in the morning, he'd be like, all right, all my commission, which is what I was talking about before with the CP chips, the rebate that you get yep. for every bet. Um, he'd always get his in cash in a brown paper bag. And so in the morning, that's when he'd make his apologies. Yep. And so he'd have the brown paper bag with his commission, which would be about 90 grand, 100 grand, sitting on the table. But like, oh, baby, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, take this, go shopping for the day, treat yourself. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Come back. Oh, what'd, what'd you buy? I bought a BMW. A BMW? We're cashing the fucking jet back. Do you think you can fucking put a BMW in the bottom of a jet? The fuck went to a BMW? That's, that's why I'm glad I don't have money because my wife, she'd be doing shit like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so that was my favorite story was listening to, especially here, he was a favorite of um, all the staff because he was hilarious to play with and he was someone that you knew you'd never have to be strict with which is very liberating for dealers where you can just be yourself and 
for the most part, guys like that, there's not a whole lot of difference between you and them except a couple of million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're generally the same type of cunts, so... Yeah, it's good, especially when they're the self-made guys. They tend to be the ones that are more fun and or liberal with it. Yeah, and especially if there's been a little bit of dodginess in how they got wealthy, that's just straight up the casino's alley. You know uh, what I mean? I'm going to say, I think that goes part and parcel with being wealthy. And, always... and being a gambler, right? And, and being, and a gambler. being yeah. casinos. You've got to have a little bit of dirt about you. So you said he was planning to stitch up. Yeah, because he recorded conversations about them putting the jet out there and he had everything documented from the get-go. So he knew if things go bust, I've got a little backup yeah. plan. And the thing is, everything he said is legit. Like, of course, they completely entice him to gamble. You know what I mean? Like, there's no if, buts, or maybes about that. But apparently... So he was, his stitch-up was wanting to set a scene that he could claim that he'd been induced to gambling so he got the money back again? So he, he wanted to set up a, that was the a theory that he was free rolling. Yeah, he wanted to set up a theory that he was an addicted gambler and they were actively um, sort of... Violating the responsible gambling. Yeah, which, I mean... <laughs> and the thing is, their responsible service of gambling is a fucking joke. Like, those people, they're water waiters, is what we used to call them. Because any problem, they bring them a glass of water. That's it. Take time out and yeah. go back into it. Like, responsible right. service of gambling just doesn't exist at all. So it's kind of arbitrary to pick one case out and go, yeah, that's where you're irresponsible because you're irresponsible to everyone. That's yeah. why the place exists. Otherwise, yeah. no one would be there. Yeah. So I do remember being in the paper because uh, the, and all these details were, were coming out. Um, and I remember they mentioned like that the staff that were involved were the ones that kind of essentially copying it. But all they do is just rotate them through. Out, you go out the back for a little while. Yeah. Oh, the thing is, a lot of times they'll put shit on staff, but the staff that he, he liked liked him if it makes yeah. sense like yeah. a, a lot of them were the old fellas like I remember the, there's an old Italian dude and he, his name is Champ that's just what everyone called him Champ Champ because he's a fucking champ like he was a throwback to the old school Vegas days yeah. of, of running casinos where uh, sorry it reminds me I remember you Dunk saying once that uh, your goal in life was to be known as Gov Gov how <laughs> <laughs> hey, you doing Gov it's, yeah. it's very, very London but yes. yeah I would die happy if people started calling me Gov yeah it's not going to happen yeah. <laughs> both of those things but dying happy correct yeah. <laughs> so yeah so th those old school guys are right up my alley they're the people that I love sitting there and just listening to those stories and they, they'd always talk about him like in very familiar and warm tones because it's those stories that make your job there worthwhile exactly I mean, it, it never sucks at the time they're the ones that you remember afterwards. And it gives you a positive memory from the experience. Exactly. Even as bad at the time. It's like any customer-facing role. Like, so I remember yeah. we had that same type of people working in a video store. Yeah. Slightly less scale of dollars. Yeah. That they're putting over the counter, but... But still, it's just as interesting as watching... Um, judging people on their video-watching habits. Uh, I used to love the guys because, like, video stores all had their own deals. And ours had, like, eight weeklies for eight bucks. Yeah. So it'd be funny, the, the bloke that comes in by himself and you get, like, five... Pokemon movies and fucking I don't know what you know five kids and then slip in three pawns yeah like, well so single, single dad yeah yeah well I, I don't know if any of those Pokemon movies got watched at all it was just a, you know because there's always be like two kids movies on the bottom then one pawn then two more kids and then yep. another so they're always stuck in like that yeah the worst of it was because this is back in the VHS days was when they come back and they haven't rewound yeah and they're like halfway through and you're like there yeah right there that's where it happened that was the shot and the worst, I remember the, when I worked at Video Easy as well, there was one lady who would come in on Thursday nights and she was like a grandma, but she was like six foot one or something. Like right. She was huge. And every Thursday night, 10 to 10 before we shut, 
She did the obligatory walk around the new releases, walk around action adventure, down through the kids, and oh no, I'll just get a couple of pawns tonight. Yeah, yeah. Every single Thursday. Like, go through the whole yeah. charade. And it's like, sweetheart, it's me and you here. Like, <laughs> I ain't watching anything else. Like, I'm watching you do this every single Thursday. Like, if I'd been in the video store and the same guy was coming in for his eight, eight movies for eight bucks weekly special, five Pokemons and three pawn. I would have been swapping the cassettes in one of the Pokemons <laughs> and then watch him come back the next week and go, these kids were not impressed with Pokemon this week. Or maybe he was just more turned on by Pokemon. <laughs> and, the, and his kids, they're yeah. filthy. Just in case that fails, you know, I've got a backup plan. The real, the real porn was his fluffer movie. <laughs> Yeah, to warm up. <laughs> I never bothered me with the guys um, renting porn because that was the, the main key selling difference between Video Easy and Blockbuster. Because Blockbuster didn't have it. Oh, where, really? Where Video Easy did, so yeah. that's why they came into us. No problem, no issues at all. It's when they give them, they bring them back and give you reviews. That's what I didn't like. <laughs> yeah, we had more than a few blokes um, do that one. We're like, yeah, cheers, guys. <laughs> oh, I've got to go dust some shelves. So we had one dude who, and you'd probably know him from the town we grew up in. They were, oh, I know who it is already. Let's yep. say... A few chops short of a barbie. Yeah, yeah. The IQ would have been very, very small. But one of them was a bit smarter than the rest and he could play up his retardedness, if that's even a fair thing to say. <laughs> I don't handicap. know. He's he handicapped. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. And so he'd play it up in the general public, but when he talked to you, like you could see like he knows what's going on. Yeah. And so he'd come back and give you a review on the porn he watched just because he knew how disgusted you were by it. <laughs> and the thing is, he's a big, huge, fat bloke. And um, he had this real high-pitched voice. And so we're sitting there real quiet. And I'm here, yeah, Ben, the girl in this one had little wings tattooed above a fucking pussy. You wouldn't fucking believe it, mate. <laughs> one, of, one of my highlights of working there was one time he was giving me this review. And I was playing with a rubber band in my in my fingers. Like right. Just twirling around. Whatever, going, oh, yeah, that's cool, Russell. Yeah, cool. And it's, it's come off. Russell, was he? Was yeah, it Russell. I'm pretty sure I was listening to this, this uh, podcast. It's <laughs> he, he, from Broken Hill. He'd be dead by now. Yeah, probably. <laughs> And I've accidentally, it's come off my finger, it's accidentally flicked him right in the eye. <laughs> and, I, and I've looked and I've gone, <laughs> so I've tried to laugh, and he's just squeals going, <laughs> and chased me around the store. And so <laughs> the worst thing is, anyone's watching this, there's no way they're going to give me credit for not being the biggest cunt, being chased around the store by a mentally handicapped man laughing my ass off. <laughs> It just sounds like a scene from Benny Hill now, yeah. doesn't it? It was pretty much I, that's like that. Exactly what went through my mind the CCTV with the uh, Yakety Sax playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, good old video stores. Going back, to, going back to the gambling stuff and uh, Mr. X and Gold Coast Man and what you can get away with if you've got money. Yeah. I know it's not quite the same league, but a couple of guys I know had a stag weekend in Vegas yeah. a year, last year, so about 18 months ago. Um, and they got through 250k between about eight of them. Oh, so it's, it's a lot of money, but it's not Mr. X money. Yeah. But even that amount of money, they, they did some things that only money will allow you to get away yeah. with. So Have they seen I, the hangover and thought it was a Yeah, a it was a little bit of that. The, yeah. uh, so they drew they stole a golf cart and drew, drove it through the casino floor of the Cosmopolitan, <laughs> blowing whistles. Of course. And nobody stopped them. <laughs> they also had a fight in the Bellagio Fountains and nobody stopped them. Now, That's I don't know awesome. how nobody stops them unless there's words goes... No, no, you've got to leave them alone. They've got money <laughs> yeah. type yeah. of thing. But they they did sort of things that 
could you can only get away yeah. with it if you're spending a lot of cash. Then again, generally the first thing you do in that situation is you ring surveillance because they're the security hub. So right. they're the ones that direct the security forces where to go and what to do. And so for the supervisors, you've got a dress button on your screen there. So that'll go straight to surveillance who will um, put the message out to security. And they've got to be able to get anywhere in the casino within 30 seconds. Wow. So that's got to be their response time. And so, but yes, um, surveillance works as a security hub. So it'll probably go through surveillance first. And they've got that intel about who's who and whatnot. Yeah. And they'd probably sort out and say, yeah, Let it just go. leave those guys alone. Yeah. Make sure they don't drown or make sure they don't run over a customer. But exactly, that, and okay. they do the sort of their cost analysis, like what are yeah. they worth and what are we going to get out of them and what's the damage really going to be. Yeah, exactly. One of the guys of that stag do um, got married. Um, so like that they, night? Uh, that trip. So they hooked, Damn. but it wasn't him that was getting married. Right, yeah. so it wasn't <laughs> his stag do. It wasn't what his said. stag right. do. So they hooked up with a bunch of Canadian girls and um, on the first night and... He woke up after what was going to be a quiet first night with one on each arm in his bed. <laughs> um, but I think the next night he married one of them, you know, a traditional Vegas wedding, yep. Elvis and all that. Um, so when I was talking to him about it, he was um, we we're talking about something else and saying, um, where's he going to go for his 40th? I said, what about Canada? Because we yeah, went yeah. to a few countries. He goes, no, I can't go there. Why can't you go there? My wife lives there. <laughs> what do you mean your wife lives there? Well... <laughs> what, you've got a girlfriend now what are you going to do about that you're going to get married her huh? well I am um, <laughs> and I'm just hoping that no one knows <laughs> um, why don't you divorce the girl in Canada then uh, well I don't actually know her surname right. or where in Canada she may be so I was having a good time that's awesome you know they give him a certificate or something <laughs> yeah just couldn't read well, the handwriting I guess so but it's probably only got a Facebook address <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is if you can lose your wife you can probably lose that certificate <laughs> yeah that's right so it, it does happen and it to be happen. fair she's probably living in Australia somewhere well, <laughs> but, uh, she's happy keeping that arrangement and I think um, her boyfriend at the time or whether they're still boyfriends or girlfriend or whatever <laughs> was uh, an ice hockey player so I don't think Jesus right. I don't think my mate actually wants to get too close to find out if they're yep. still together. Yeah. yeah, fuck that shit, man. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna say. To be honest, you know, you call me old-fashioned, but marrying some other bloke—that's a deal breaker for me yeah, in a relationship. Yeah. You think? I'm gonna call yeah. it off there. Yeah, you think they've made a mistake that's you know the unrecoverable? Oh, uh, you know, if it was a classy wedding, you know, <laughs> and it was especially Elvis. if you haven't been invited. I mean, that's really the nail in the coffin. And I mean, you really look at the gifts first, and then judge <laughs> how you're gonna make out with this. Yeah. I got remarried by in Elvis. By I was Elvis, going to say I knew that you. Yeah, yeah. You, for yeah your, so ten year, our ten year anniversary, went and got remarried by Elvis, and it was it was awesome. Yeah, of course it was. Um, it was fantastic, and it, you you did it to be as cheesy as possible. Of course. So, yeah. so I had a pair of shorts and a beer stained t shirt, and my wife had the full showgirl outfit, and the bridesmaids were my best mate and his partner. Yeah. Um, in full drag, walk, <laughs> walking nice. through the, one of them's, you know, my shape. He's five foot eight tall and six foot wide yeah. um, and the other one's about six foot four tall so those two walking through win in, um, in full drag was quite entertaining and high heels quite entertaining I was going to say quite entertaining but not out of place yeah but odd, it got a couple of glances but no one really stared yeah, <laughs> yeah. no one gave him a tip they've seen it yeah. yeah they've seen that before the main table yeah a lot of times I found like I liked working on the main floors because they were generally the places where you had no idea what was going to happen on any given night. Like yeah. anything could happen on any given night. Um, and I started off working at Adelaide Casino. And the good thing I liked about that was that it's a smaller casino. And so the news of what's going on like through the whole floor travels a lot quicker. And so there wasn't anything that happened in the casino that you didn't know about on a given night. Yeah. And 
you can have a lot more fun on the on the floor as well. Like even little things that I don't know if I said it last podcast where they had like a pokey jackpot going on where there was a major jackpot. Right. And it was it was from a sign that spun from the roof. Okay. And the major jackpot was I think between thirty and hundred grand or something like that, hundred and twenty grand. And then there was a minor jackpot which is between a hundred and a thousand dollars. And so the minor jackpot would go off maybe if you're lucky once a shift. Yeah, kind of like that. But the the major jackpot would go off maybe once every three four months, something like that. And you'd see it slowly build up. And um, when it, when the jackpot would go off, it would play a song. Like it would cut out all the music and everything, and it'd be like, "It's a bird, it's a plane, it's the jackpot." Right. And so when you're in the blackjack pits, in what was pit two, if you had a good supervisor, what he'd do is he'd go down the the row of dealers and he'd have bets on where the minor jackpot was going to go off, and he'd have like a five dollar leeway. Okay. So if I picked. Um, 125 I'd have 127 to or 123 127 yep. or that sort of leeway and so then if, if you won when the jackpot went off the rest of the dealers have to buy your beer Okay. and especially at a casino where just about everyone would go to the pub after a shift because it was just across the road and a lot less a um, lot easier to travel places because you've got the train station right underneath you you've got a tax rank right out the front and public transport it was a bit easy to get around there <coughs> and so you'd always bet everything for beer so you're allowed to have that sort of fun um, another thing was you play bureaus, um, where if you're in the roulette pot of four, four dealers, you'd find your mate and you'd be like, all right, if I spin zero, you've got to buy me a beer. If you spin zero, I'll buy you a beer. And so what you do is whenever you'd hit the zero, you'd yell out bureau. Right. So you go, bureau! And then you'd see them behind and go, fuck! <laughs> but the worst part is, is when no one was betting on it. Right. Because you're trying to spin zero and you're really fucking excited because you've just won a beer. And everyone's lost. And two, you got to put the dolly on it. Yep. And the dolly is like the little plastic marker that marks which, which number came up. And there's no chips there. Yep. And so you're going, Biro! <laughs> and you pick your dolly up and you're like, oh, shit. And as you're doing it, you can feel everyone looking at you. Going, and, you can't. Yeah. And you can see them seeing how sheepishly you're putting this number on there because they got no idea what's going on. To them, yeah. it looks like you've just cleaned them up and you're happy as fuck about it. Yeah. <laughs> and so you put it down like, holy shit. And then you've got to try to explain to them, yeah, no, no, I just want a beer. Doesn't help. Yeah. It doesn't help. I've hey, just lost a hundred bucks. Yeah. You've won a beer. Yeah. Why don't you go fuck yourself? But also the other thing is you'll see a lot more people trying to cheat on, on main floors. Of course. Which is always interesting. And one of the favorite ones was um, on the Baccarat pit, the maple room in Crown, the very first table when you walk in is a hundred dollar table, which was the highest limit table in, on, in that room. On the main, yeah. Highest differential table. And right near the entrance of that pit, and what would happen every now and then was that you'd get a, a packed table and um, if people were going to cheat, there's lots of different ways to do it, but one way that kind of became popular for a while was lots of people would pool all their money when there was a long run of Baccarat, a long run of players or bankers on Baccarat, and they put their bet down and they'd have someone ready that who wasn't sort of obviously in on the bet that if it won, sweet, they got their money, cool, keep on playing. But if it lost, he just grabbed it off the layout and just bolt before you had a chance to do anything and in a packed room like that and I mean to be fair just about everyone there is Vietnamese so it's really fucking hard to pick them out and so it was like the greyhounds it was like the rabbit just got released from the fucking cage because he'd bolt and all of a sudden security would just be chasing through the pokey area and so you see this one little dude just bolting in between the pokey area followed by um, like five or six securities and it was like those old school cartoons where you see the hallway with all the doors on the left and right hand side right and the one opens up going in one door out the other door popping the heads out 
And so have you ever seen the remake of the Thomas Crown Affair? It's when they... Uh-huh. They made a remake of that piece of shit? Well, the one with um, Pierce Brosnan. Oh, there you go. So there was one originally without so that. The remake was the piece of shit. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, where they put... He puts on the bowler hat when they're disappearing yeah. around. And, yeah. yeah. Same, same sort of shit. Yeah. Another thing is that... I remember an old lady flashing me on one of our first days of working at Crown Casino. And not like a good, nice, attractive lady at all. Oh, no. And not, not any context to it. I'm just sitting there shuffling my cards and she's walking past the background, just looks over me in a movie or whatever, pulls a tip down, keeps on walking. I'm like, <laughs> does that just happen? Like, what the fuck was that deal? Well, if you can't accept tips... Well, the funny thing Except was... Except tits. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, it wasn't the first time. I remember when I, worked, <laughs> when I worked in Adelaide, and this is, I swear to God, this is a true story. I can even remember, I would be able to find out the date because it was a mate's birthday. But one Wednesday night, <coughs> I'd finished my day shift and one of my mates was like, oh, it's my birthday day, you want to go have a beer? So I went, all right, I'll have a beer. And um, it was just across the road from Adelaide Casino. And I lived in North Adelaide, just off O'Connell Street. And so I'd always walk home along King William Street, then down um, O'Connell Street. And so this... One day, I'd always have my iPod in because I just had my iPod when I was going everywhere and walking home, listening to some tunes and I've got to the part where King William Road goes through a little curve before it gets to the Adelaide International Hotel at the start of O'Connell Street and I've noticed this car pull up next to me and so I've sort of noticed the thought of my eye and it's gone next to me and the passenger side window's down and I can see someone looking out at me so obviously they're trying to get my attention. Yeah. So the first thing I think is they want directions. So I'm all right, so I start walking over to the car, take my iPod out and there's a, girl, a lady in there and she's like, oh, excuse me, you look like you're pretty busy, like you're on a bit of a mission, you're walking. And I was like, oh, I just finished work and, you know, just trying to get home, whatever. And she's like, oh, sorry, I just need a favor. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's no worries, whatever. And she pulls down the front of her top and she goes, I want you to come on these for me. <laughs> wow. Oh. And I've just looked at her and it just didn't compute properly. <laughs> I'm just sitting there thinking. Directions to where, love? Yeah, I went, <laughs> sorry, sorry, what? And she looked at me like I'm fucking stupid and she's gone, I want you to come on my tits. And I just didn't know what to say. So the first thing that came out my mouth was, why? <laughs> <laughs> she's looked at me, obviously not prepared for this question. She's like, oh, you know, just because, just because I love it. And I'm thinking, I'm not buying this. <laughs> so, and the thing is, there's bushes behind me. And so I'm slyly having a look behind like, just to make so sure. you're about to get jumped. Yeah, someone's going to whack me in the back of the head. And then I'm looking to see if I can see a camera lens or something. Like yep. this is a, like a, <laughs> a fucking TV camera show or something, or something like that. And so then I decided, all right, how do we get out of this? And obviously as a 21-year-old kid, this is like porn status stuff. He's not ever prepared to this happen in real life. And so I've lied to her. I've gone, oh, actually, I've got a boyfriend. So I've got a girlfriend. So yeah, well, either or would have probably worked. Probably would have been off that on a boyfriend. I was going yeah. to say, that's a good move. Yeah, so I'm like, I've got a girlfriend. She's like, sorry, I've got a boyfriend. You know, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. I just, just really want you to come on my tits. And so I've gone... Yeah, it's not going to happen. Hey, <laughs> and she just looked at me like, really? And I'm going, was she yeah. young, old, good looking? She was, she was. She had fucking cracking tits. <laughs> and the thing is, she wasn't. She wasn't ugly. She wasn't like the hottest chick you've ever seen. But she could have easily gone to any place on a Friday night, bought a guy a drink, gone, hey, you want to just get out here and you know, do whatever, and yeah. would have had no problems. I remember because I remember what she looked like. She was tan skin, had like ringlet brown hair. She had a like a pale green singlet top on and the car was like a silver kind of Astra thing something like that was license plate number did not look back to your license plate <laughs> number that's the thing people was like what was license plate number like I didn't look back like I had left that window and walked off just thinking the fuck just happened yeah it's pretty weird and so I've told her I've like look 
I'm not going to do it, but if you can go by Connell Street, man, there's like unis around here, you'll definitely find someone. <laughs> and obviously never been in the situation, not impressed at all by that. Absolutely not. But the worst thing is, is that I wish I had stayed and asked more questions because I've never heard this happening to anyone else ever. How do you get to that point? Exactly. And the thing is, what it was making it more peculiar was the area wasn't the road, was through the little um, S-bend from where King William turns into O'Connell Street. And so you couldn't have seen me early enough to be able to approach like she did. So she must have staked me out for at least a block or something in order to understand where I was to pull over where I was walking at that particular time. Otherwise, I'm on a blind curve and you don't even see me there. And so I want to know what the fuck was going on. Like, I really want to find out who this woman was and find out what situation <laughs> led her to do this because she didn't like she needed to. She wasn't ratty. She looked like she'd be a professional woman during the daytime, whatever. I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's got issues. I think so. But I just want to know how bad those issues were. Like, They're bad enough that you pull up to a stranger in the middle of the street and ask him to come on your tits. But the motivation behind it, like, was it she had if killed someone and she needed a DNA sample to plant on somebody or whatever? <laughs> and like, was I supposed to just jerk off on her tits or was I going to get a blowjob or something first? Like, was how this was in gonna the work? times of Monica Lewinsky and uh, Clinton? Between 2003. Yeah, dangerously there close to 2003. Go. So there you go. She was about, someone who been sucking off the president. Where was John Howard? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I was him, I would have banged his wife either. <laughs> and the, other, the flip side of that was, what if this poor woman had had this fantasy since she was a little girl, just finally, you know, she just wanted <laughs> some random stranger to come on her tits and she'd finally built up the courage on this Wednesday night and had gone out and done it. And I've just gone, no. That, that, well, that wasn't the case because she repeated the question she wasn't scared in asking you yeah this is true repeated this the is true and so. quite insistent and so maybe her boyfriend and her are in cahoots they'd fucking you know killed someone a sister or whatever or maybe her boyfriend's wife and they needed like a semen sample to plant because yeah. I can't believe it was just straight up she just yeah. wanted someone to come on her tits I'm 100% with you if that ever happened to me there's like there is 0% chance I'm not going nah yeah exactly this, this is, no, I'm there's getting 0% chance I'm not going nah but there's a 100% chance afterwards I'm going I wonder what would have happened. <laughs> well, it's come to the point now, 10 years later, that I'm still here wondering what's happened. Yeah, so right. the whole time, I went home to my flatmates and I didn't say a word for like 45 minutes, just sitting there trying to, what the fuck just happened? Like, And plus, I was a bit drunk as well, having yeah. birthday drinks with my mate. I went to them, I've gone to them, you wouldn't believe what just happened to me. And I told my story. And of course, the first thing they say is, fuck off. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and so it's hard enough finding people to actually believe that story happened. And then hard enough convincing them that you did in fact say no. Because yeah. all the other guys are like, fucking I would have done that for sure. <laughs> but that's because you're a dirty cunt from the yeah. south. <laughs> I was going to say, everyone knows somebody that would go, yeah, I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. But I, I seriously... Yes, but let's be honest. The people that would say yes are the people that wouldn't be asked in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably right there. Probably right. So yeah, that was the most interesting flash that I had. Um, back in the casino, so you, you got flashed uh, a tit off grandma and whatnot. Um, did you ever have, I was going to say old people, but anybody sit glued to their slot machine, convinced it's going to pay off to the extent that they pissed themselves, shat themselves or died? Not that I've seen, but I'm pretty sure what happened because people have sat there for long enough that you're like, you've got to move at some point. But I've, I've seen people throw up at the table and not leave. Just, you can see they're not feeling well and... 
not like they were drunk, like not like a drunk, you know, I'm fucked up just and throw poorly. up. Just, just for little, legitimately sick with something, and probably being in that environment for a weekend, yeah. probably did it, and just put the head below the table, blow the table, blah, come back up, and I'm like, am I supposed to still fucking serve you or what? <laughs> but responsible service of gaming, they're not gonna come up and go, hey, you know what? Maybe you should go have a nap. <laughs> they're gonna go, you just like water? You got a problem with it? We need a new dealer. <laughs> and that's what happens. So yeah. you see stuff like that, but. Generally, I haven't seen people throw up, but I know people who have stank that much that we've got security to come and tell them, look, you can't gamble until you have a shower because yeah. you yeah. stink. Um, but yeah. do, do you see any of that in Vegas in one of your many trips? Um, I've heard stories, certainly plenty of stories of people pissing themselves or shitting themselves yeah. because they didn't want to lose, leave a slot machine yeah. and a couple of stories of people having heart attacks there. But they're normally quite good because the people that have heart attacks actually fall off the stool, yeah. Yeah. which is helpful, gives it away. <laughs> So, so they pulled out for someone else to come. I, I think there was a story in one of Bronson, one of the Bronson uh, or Slim Amarillo's. One of those, one yeah. of those two, uh, where they said, you know, the bloke died at the table. I'm like, oh, that's horrible. Whose deal is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he still uh, had chips. Or, or they got upset with the dealer because he paused the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've had yeah. yeah. People get unreasonable when you try and stop a game for legitimate reasons, like a blackout, where people are like, no, 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 still two more hands. You're like, dude. Yeah. Can't even see the fucking cards. Or, like, are you serious? Or the more common one is when some fuck knuckle spills their drink across the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the best part was in Adelaide Casino, the cleans would come with the hairdryer and wash it all up. So it was sweet for the dealer. Like, sweet, someone yeah. spilled a drink on a Saturday night. I get to sit back and check out the chicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> like, half hour break for nothing. Yeah. And that was the main goal of working on the main floor of any casino for dudes, which is checking out the chicks on a Friday and Saturday night. That's okay. what would get you through the, through the shift. But the thing is, they never fucking win. They never win. Always rock up your table. You'll clean out the good-looking girls. The ugly ones, they'll be staying there drunk as fuck, offering you everything. <laughs> I still remember one time, I was doing blackjack. And there was this sexy-ass girl just hanging around the back. Like, brunette hair, nice dress, just really digging what she was into. And so I'm looking at her, thinking, she's pretty hot. And after one of the hands, she's come past, and she's put a business card just below my drop box. Uh-huh. Played it cool. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Thanks for that. Put it over next to me. She's like, yeah, that's my friends over there who was the most rat shit drunk redhead chick falling out of a top just I'm thinking why is it never the other way around and I've looked at her just looked at her in the bin other international players how much can they really get away with well or, is there ever a line where they've gone nah that's it um there is there are some players that really push it but it is relative to um how much they bet but also where, where does that start though like, it starts with the deposit, how much they put into their account. Right. Because the thing is, they'll allow you to take out a line of credit. And if you don't take them up on the line of credit, they're more likely to do more things for you. You get more advantages, you get more rebate on your bets through CP. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And they'll be willing to more, do more for you if you don't take them up on the line of credit. But not many players actually do that because it's just a pain in the ass changing your currency over because if you change, let's say, $90 million from Chinese yuan into... Australian dollars and then there's a big fluctuation in the um, pricing of both currencies you could win a couple million dollars while you're gambling but still lose having to yeah. transfer it back in that and so they actually started allowing people to take bets in Hong Kong dollars so they'll actually have tables set up with chips and plaques that are all in Hong Kong dollars Wow! but the thing is the exchange rate is so messed up that you've got people whose limits are like 12.5 million to whatever and that's all well and good when it's round numbers, but when you're the deal and you've got to work out 5% commission, yeah. there's a lot of difference to the you know 100,000 donations or whatever you're used to working out in. 
But um, the best players, the best players, uh, they always came at the start of my career of dealing because that was when Melbourne had a really big market share in the Southeast Asian or Southeast Asian area, Asian area. That was all before the before casino Macau. in Singapore. Singapore, up, yeah. Right? Singapore killed it. Yeah, Singapore killed it big time. And the thing is, I know at that point, when I first started, the biggest bet that they'd take on Baccarat or the biggest differential they'd offer was 250K. And that went up really, really quick um, before Singapore came. They, there was only a couple of people that would give a 300K differential, which was Mr. X and a, a couple of other people. But then as soon as Singapore opened up, they actually offered a million-dollar differential. So that forced Tan to up it. But yep. it was mainly, mainly managers looking at it and going, fuck, that's a lot to risk. But when you look at the practicality of it, you might lose 10 million in one day. But these people aren't staying for one day. Yeah. They're staying for months. And so you might go down a bit, but you're going to get it back. It's almost guaranteed unless you fuck up really bad and they don't ever want to come back. But So, so Crown Casino and I then have um, something in common. We've both been fucked by a Singapore casino. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> and how, how, how were you fucked? Just by so, the maths? Yes. I was working in Singapore for seven months, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to have to play poker when I'm in Singapore to add to my list of casinos mm-hmm. I've played in. There's two casinos in Singapore. There's uh, one at Mandalay Bay, yeah, um, which doesn't have a poker room, and there's one at World Resorts on Sentosa Island. Yeah. So the choice was easy. <laughs> the choice was easy. So you know, I was there over a weekend. Um, so right, I'm heading down to Sentosa, go and play poker, get to the poker room. The lowest game they're spreading is five ten, and this is the exchange rates one to one. So I'm, I'm a one three two five player, and I've occasionally taking shots at 5.10 in Vegas, but it's on special occasions. Yes. Yeah. So this, I'm out of my comfort zone, but fair enough. I'll sit down, gambling Asians, no problem. First hand I get dealt, pocket kings. Of course. <laughs> get in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was big blind, so I posted big blind. Someone raises, someone re-raises, and I think, I don't want to give me hand away too soon. Oh, flat. Yeah. The other guy comes along as well, three of us. We get uh, something like a 10-6 deuce rainbow flop. Beautiful. Got the motherfucker. <laughs> check, check. I, oh, I bet. And one of them looks at me and re-raises me. And the other one folds. I think, this fucker's just tried to scare yeah. away the, the new white guy that looks a little <laughs> bit nervous sitting down at 5'10". Got him. I'm just flat. Yeah. <laughs> Turn pairs to six. It's not a problem. Three bet pre-flop. He bets. I flat. Let him hang himself. River's a brick. He shoves all in. All right, it's my $1,000 buy-in. But that's okay. I'm caught. Yeah. I'm calling this yeah. one off. Fucker turned over quad sixes. Of course he did. Jesus. Yeah, quad sixes first hand. Fucking so hell. I went. Yeah, I think I got the same taxi back. Actually, I don't think he got. The <laughs> so you had an absolute golden duck. Yeah, first first hand full yeah. stack. I've had Holy I've shit. had two golden ducks in my since playing poker, and both of them pocket kings as well. Was it? Yeah, and I think one was even big blind too. Yeah, yeah. I went yeah. back the next night. I thought, no, I can't be a one-hand loser. I've got to give it another crack. I've got to give it a two-hand loser. Yeah. And I was <laughs> playing for about forty-five minutes, and this hand came up. Uh, a raise. I flat with ace queen. We get an ace queen rag flop. He bets. I re-raise. He calls. Um, turn is a brick. He checks. I jam it in, he tanks for ages and calls, I flip over my ace queen, he nods knowingly, river king, and he turns over ace king. Of course. Oh. So I did 2k in 45 minutes and 1 minute, so 46 minutes. 46 Jeez. minutes. That's, That's my experience of Singapore casino. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Fuck Singapore. The only time I tried to gamble in the casino overseas was in Vietnam, and I was thinking, 
like the exchange rate's ridiculous. So I'm like, I'm going to be king motherfucker. (laughs) Yes, this is like got me all over it. I walk in there like sweet, ready to cash up American dollars. Fuck you. So I'm like, all right, fucking give me my American dollars, cunt. And I walk over there and there are no live games. They're all electronic. Oh. So I was like... Poker pro tables. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Are you serious? I'm betting in American dollars in Vietnam for rigged games. Yeah. Like, fuck this show. Like, how do you guys like gambling if this is like your status quo? Like, how does this work out? I hate those tables. You, you just lose the essence of why yeah, you're going exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. If I want to play online, I'd stay at fucking Yeah. Own. And that's why I don't like the automatic shufflers that they have on blackjack tables and buckrock tables, whatever. I think there's still something to be said for a, a deal that can shuffle a deck of cards. Yeah. And also, it gives you that break to be able to go have a drink, whatever. It's the same as playing vinyl. Right. Yeah, it's just exactly. got that sort yeah. of traditional crackle yeah. to it. Yeah, absolutely. That imperfection. Yeah, the imperfection. But, but it's also the imperfection is what makes it perfect. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's the, the the sound of that riffle of the cards. It's just it's like if you yeah. had you know electronic um, chips instead of yeah. real chips, you don't hear that clink clink clink. clink. Yeah. Well, that's but, what they say. The person that invented poker was clever, but the po- person that invented chips was, was a genius. genius. Yeah. But, I mean, all the uh, tables, at, the poker tables at Crown, all have the automatic shufflers. No, yeah. not oh. all of them. There's some that don't. I can say, um, but w- w- most of them do, and actually, it does speed up the game. It yeah, it does. But from my experience, I reckon one in two were broken. Oh, frequently yeah. broken, yeah. and they're, they're notoriously expensive as well. Apparently, yeah, I think three and four deals are broken too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I played um, seven in, out of eight players. Huh? <laughs> talking about playing in Asian casinos, I played in a couple of casinos in the Philippines. Oh yeah, um, was staying down in Cebu as a family holiday, and you know, you do what you have to do and go yeah. and have a game of cards. <laughs> Yeah. It's the only casino I've ever walked into where you walk through an airport-style security scan. Yeah, yeah. And there's a little sign. I think I might have even texted you a picture of it. it says, "Please leave all deadly weapons at the at concierge." <laughs> it's got a picture of uh, a knife with a cross through it, a gun with a cross through Jesus. it, and other shit. So you have to leave all your weapons behind, and then you go so in. If you're a baller, you would have put it to put your your bankroll in there, like <laughs> yeah. just put it there. Yeah. Um, and then you go and play cards. And I was up, I was up a few hundred about an hour in, and I, and it's the only place I've ever played where I thought I probably ought to lose this back before. I'm going <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, remember, I used to date a fellow chick, and we're actually going to go to the Philippines on a holiday once, and her dad said no you're not going there he goes like we could probably go there but from where i grew up you're not going there like you'll get kidnapped taken to an island somewhere and be held ransom and i was like oh i'll be awesome going to the casino he goes you don't want to win the casino because yeah. you win inside you lose outside <laughs> like someone knows what's going on there yeah it was it was pretty it was it was different but they have part of the um um asia pacific poker tour it's yeah. held there and there's yeah. some big events in manila now yeah um but I certainly never felt comfortable playing in the two casinos I played in in Cebu. I wonder if yeah. they play in Manila in Manila. They should. You know, <laughs> just... probably, they, they might call it Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they're funny. There's always, um, they call it something different. I, I, tell, I tell you what, I bet it's not 95-year-old Italians and Greeks playing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> None exactly. of the locals. Complain about everything. And then like, another thing to that is half the fun of gambling is having that space to be able to discuss what happened. Oh, it sounds like a podcast like uh, this. Postmortems. We always yeah. call it when we're playing cards. Yeah, yeah. So shuffling gives you that chance to sit there and discuss with them what happened. And also it's really good at building rapport with your players because you have a little break period where you offload all the fucked up happenings that have happened in the last, you know, however many hands you'll get out of a deck. And so you sort of offload that, that deck or that shoe and then you're back onto a new one. It's like a fresh start. With continuous ones, it's just like misery packed yeah. on misery yeah. and no one's happy. But speaking of Southeast Asia, one of my favorite players or my favourite couple, I would say, came from Southeast Asia. I don't know, did I tell this last time? They owned a cigarette factory? No, I don't think, no. Don't, I don't, don't remember. Yeah, they owned a cigarette company, I'm pretty sure. 
And um, the I'll call the lady Barbie just as a mm, pseudonym because I so like her. Should we call the bloke Ken? Yeah, we'll okay. go Ken and Barbie. I don't see the connection. Yeah. Anyway, Ken and Barbie. We'll go. We'll go with that. Um, because they're really nice people. They don't play there anymore because they got a bit sick. I think and couldn't make the trip over from Indonesia. But um, I think they're the fourth biggest cigarette manufacturer in the world. Didn't even smoke their own brand. But of course not. <laughs> yeah, they had a very particular way of, of how they play. I still don't know to this day how it worked. But the guy, he was the main player. And the woman, Dolly, I meant Barbie. <laughs> 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 she was the one that would interact and she was fucking hilarious. Like, she spoke pretty good English but her ability to make up in my opinion you understand English when you can make up your own swear words like that's when you've got <laughs> right. a grasp of, of English language and that's what she'd be able to do and so they'd play a game where it was very very quick they might play only three hands in a shoe and they've got a new shoe and you'd have to have your table that was running and you'd have another table with a dealer who was just shuffling cards so they're ready to go on there yeah. and you had another table with two shuffling machines and for a lot of time, you were still playing catch-up. Like, they don't have to wait because it'd be like a couple of decks, straight out of the box, cut it, three hands, nut, new shoe. And that was just how they played the whole time. And so Dolly, she didn't really play a whole lot. The dude played with his offsiders, and she'd just sit there and just talk to you the whole time. And I remember the first time I went in to deal with her. Um, it was in the old Pit 29 in Mahogany Room, and you had these big double doors, the same one I first dealt to Ivy in. And um, I've walked in there, and they're on the table, straight as you go in on the right-hand side. And she's looked up to me and she's gone, looked at my name back. She's like, oh, Brenton, how big is your cock? <laughs> <laughs> and I've looked at her and gone, what? So, like, did she ask you to come on her tits later on? Or? <laughs> I mean, did she, she drive an Astra? She would have been well up for it, trust me. And she's like, you heard me, boy. How big is your cock? <laughs> and I've looked at the supervisor. They're all pissing themselves laughing. And they try to sit going, go on, you got to tell her. <laughs> I'm like, uh, it's this big from the ground like that old joke <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean yeah, so I pulled that one out and especially in casinos you get a lot of miles out of jokes from different players you just got a new audience coming through all the yeah. time and she was the filthiest bitch I've ever come across but in a hilarious way well it's because you didn't come across the last one she asked <laughs> 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 but the funny thing was is that they have Sexpo at the exhibition centre straight across the road from Crown right and so it was on at the same time it must have been like a November yeah late November I think, yeah, yeah. And so pull that one out quick. Stuff. She's, yeah. she's she's come back from Sexpo with shopping bags full of stuff. Of course and she has. When she's come back, we've always gone, oh shit! Like, oh no, this is going to be an interesting day. Exactly. Mind you, while this is going on, you're trying to do a very very fast game of baccarat, like very fast. And so she's walking in with big black dongs, just Brenton, is this as big as your cock? Like, Bend over, I fuck your ass with this, boy. <laughs> <laughs> So she sat down there at the end of the table and she's got, she's like, I need a piece of paper. So, uh, all right, Dolly, get a piece of paper. Get a piece of paper. I need a pen. So, all right, give her a pen. She's sitting there and she's like sketching something. And like, Dolly, what are you doing over there? She's like, hiding. She's like, no, no, later, later. And so eventually she's got it and she's gone up to the supervisor and she's drawn a picture of a cat and <laughs> she's gone to Mark. She's gone, I show you my shaved pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and so we started pissed ourselves laughing. <laughs> and, and Mark's wife worked there as well, but she was in the salon. She was out someone else. Right. And she, she goes, right, I'm going to tell your wife that you saw my pussy. <laughs> so she's trotted out. Fucking gone and done that. Um, it's a long setup for the one pun joke. I've yeah. I, I got a lot of respect for that. The craziest person I've seen play Baccarat was this guy named Mr. T. So stop me if I've told this one as well. No. No. 
He's from Indonesia. No, from Singapore. But it's not the tiger. No, no, no. Okay. He was from Vietnam. Yep. Yeah. This guy was from Singapore. He was the most batshit crazy person I've ever dealt to in my life. He was not, hasn't been back to Singapore for like 10 years because he's waiting to outlast a statute of limitations on a, <laughs> a very serious insider trading case that was against him for like $250 million. Right. And so what he'd do so is. So he's got cash to burn. Yeah. Literally. So what he'd do is that he just hole up in casinos because there's very few places that are more secure than casinos. Right. And so he'd be, you know, their penthouse apartments or whatever. And he told me, he goes, Brenton, I always keep $9 million of cash with me because if someone sends someone to kill me, I tell them, you go kill the person who tends you to kill me and I'll pay you twice as much. So that was his strategy on survival day-to-day basis. So in other words, 4.6 is the minimum you got to come with. Yeah, pretty much. Because then he has he But then you just rock up and say, I'm here to kill you. They've offered me 3 million. And he'll go... Well, here's six. It's, and say, see you later. It's exactly. That's yeah, not a good bluff. I ring some mates, give them my little swipe, security swipes, then get into the hotels. So you don't need gun. You just knock on the door and say, yeah, we got $4 million offered to kill you. Right, sweet. Where you go. But um, his ritual was, he, because I don't know if you've seen how you score Baccarat. It's, com- it's pointless to a um, common sense point of view. I mean, unless you believe in sort of karma and luck and spirits oh, and fucking... Like everyone's got a system. Yeah, everyone's and, got a system. And no system ever works. Yeah. Except be the house. Yeah. This guy you, had... You, you mean Martingale Blackjack doesn't work? <laughs> it's like the... You're welcome to try. The Lebesher <laughs> um, theory of Baccarat. But, um, so he'd have three systems. So he had to employ three people to keep these systems because they weren't just a win or lose thing. It was this whole interpretation of the win and loss and he had books that were graph paper. So big, yep. like A3 size graph paper. And one side will be doing one system and I don't understand them from the beginning. His other side will be doing his other system. And if if he wasn't gay, I'd suck my own dick. Let's put it that way. Right. So he was definitely fucking one of his offsiders. And this offsider would just cop it during <laughs> the whole Baccarat like, period of him playing Baccarat. And what he'd do is before he came into the room... There had to be these stickers, which were a compass, and they were pointing to True North, and you had one of them situated on the bumper in front of each of the seats. Right. And so when I was first going to deal with this guy, the people boss has come to me. So w- w- why? I don't know. I okay. still don't like, I'm going to say more crazy than that. i got no idea about any of it, about the wires. Okay. None of it. That's what makes it batshit crazy. Yep. And so the supervisor comes to me before I'm going to the salon, and he's made a point to be outside the salon when I'm coming up the escalators, because it's in the top floor of um, Crown Towers. And he's like, all right, Brendan, here's what you got to do. You're going to walk in there. Don't look at him. Sit down. He's going to nod to you. And then they're all going to start saying a prayer. When they're, when they're halfway through the prayer, he'll open his eyes, look at you and give you a nod. And you've got to start shuffling. When you shuffle, you have to do three riffles to make four piles in like your eight decks of shuffling. Right. So I've got a riffle once, have one pile. Yep, yep. Three to, uh, to make like my four or whatever his arbitrary number of the day was. So when he's asked for like six piles, you like shuffle normally and you forget because that's your downtime. Yeah. And so like, sweet, new shoe, shuffle, you think about something else, you're like, fuck, that's right, six. And so you see where you're praying. So the last shuffles are like five cards on each Tiny. side or three <laughs> cards. He's like, just don't open your eyes now. And, um, and then he's like, and then you have to divide it into four parts and do the same again. <clears throat> then once he, he's finished his, his prayer, He's going to, he's going to, oh, like incense. And then right. he's going to tell you when you're allowed to deal. And um, this guy at the start of the day was really, really nice. Didn't take long for that to change. And when the, when the pit boss are telling me this, I'm like, 
ah, oh, you're stitching me up. Come on, Freddie, that's not true. You're like, fuck <laughs> off, whatever. And then I've walked in there and everyone's just dead silent, not having fun at all. You just see him looking there. Yep. So I walked in going, oh, all right, I'm guessing yeah, maybe he's serious. But I didn't realize that his prayer would go for like 15 minutes. Oh, like, wow. I mean, a legitimate 15 minutes. And so you're sitting there going, so I'm looking at Smith. I was like, has he already told me to start shuffling or did I, did I miss something? <laughs> did I miss my cue? Anyway, and Smith was looking at me. Just nothing, nothing. Don't do anything. And so eventually he's like, give me the nod, start shuffling. And so first hand, all right, Brenton, I think you'll feel good. We about bigs, about 100K. And he's got a 600K diff. Right. So all right, lost 100K. Fucking bullshit, cunt motherfucking, this is rigged. This is rigged. <laughs> This in Singapore, I called the police. They take you to jail. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell, dude! I'm glad like, we're in Singapore. What God are you praying to, man? <laughs> he's, he's, he's happy with your conduct. I'm switching religions. I'm up with you, man. And so, next hand. All right, six hundred thousand. I'm like, you pissed off at losing a hundred grand. What the fuck, six hundred k? I'm like, I'm nervous because I know you're gonna lose because you just know when some people gonna lose, yep. and especially when it's gonna be detrimental to your experience of a day's work. You know, that's just the way the casino gods operate. Like, yeah. they're out to fuck with you. <laughs> and so, look at it. It's going, fuck, please win, please win. Six okay. Nah, lost. Fucking bullshit, cunt motherfucker. Fuck you. And the worst part is, back in the day, your supervisors would back you up. Yep. But now these supervisors have gone to pit bosses and the quality of supervisors has been drastically reduced because they've been made to look after that many more tables, yeah, yeah. reducing the amount of supervisors you actually got. So they were stressed out. They don't deal with no shit. And the worst part is, is when you've got shit supervisors, when that stuff happens, they all of a sudden just start wandering off back <laughs> behind the pit stairs. I didn't see anything. So for three days, I had to sit there with this dude and cop this. But the thing is, after the shoe's over, he tries to be your best friend. Right. Which pisses me off because he's like, you know, it's, it's not the money, it's the feeling inside that I get. I'm thinking, but you always lose. <laughs> so you're always getting that feeling. So Yeah, but the, that's the phrase, isn't it? The second best thing after gambling and winning is gambling and losing. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And it's almost like he's a sucker for punishment. But that was the craziest thing that I've ever been requested to do in order for someone to start to deal. Start to deal you know what I mean? And even through the actual game, the different idiosyncrasies that he had with how it was dealt, how you turn the cards over, and he'd work on um, time as well as that compass was somehow a correlation between time, star signs, and the direction of true north compared to the sun of course somehow he worked something out with that because you see him look at the watch and like okay it's monkey now 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 we play this much or whatever <laughs> and you look at it going hey, you're batshit crazy as good as any other system out there oh yeah well, that's, that's it. true it's yeah, that's true. useless yeah. yeah and that's what i tell people because especially you get the westerns come up they look at the scoring they're like yeah it's all bullshit and like well yeah it is but you've got to pick one side so you may as well make it something fun <laughs> like yeah. if you enjoyed yeah. it all that way then fucking go for it that's it isn't it it's make yeah. your own fun out of it yeah and it's, it's just it's, it's just as successful as your system bloke so yeah. <laughs> yeah, you say when your system is yeah that'll do yeah and yeah um, the other one I remember is um, when was it that Liverpool were up for sale it would have been maybe it's happened mid, a couple of times over the last <laughs> 10 years mid but. 2000s it must have been and there was a dude from Singapore who was in the in the bids for it he didn't win it he didn't buy it but he was actually at Crown playing when he was bidding for Singapore, for Liverpool because I remember um, dealing to him and he was like on the phone or whatever and he's sort of playing a couple of hands and he has to go do stuff and we're like man he's like, if you're that busy sure you wouldn't play Baccarat and then obviously there's lots of soccer pl- soccer fans at Crown because you work night shift and you get Premier League live like yep. watch yep. heaps of soccer 
And so they're like, this dude's actually trying to buy Liverpool. You're like, holy shit, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> I could pay for this dude to buy Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't end up buying it. Someone else did. But yeah, I mean, was saying, Bo- Boston you, Red Sox bought it, didn't they? Uh, there was two other Americans that bought it first. Right. And then um, the Fen- Fenway Park group bought is that, it. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Well, it's Boston's uh, home ground, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they still own it, right? Fenway Sports or whatever it's called, yeah. yeah. They still own it. Dunks is rather impartial to <laughs> to, uh, to Liverpool. Yep, but, I'm rather impartial to a bit Liverpool Football Club. So you, you, lifelong, would you say? Would you, was it starting early for yourself? Yeah, yeah, no, it was starting early. So it was impressed upon me that um, as a five-year-old choosing your football club that it was the most important decision I'd ever make. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, you can change your wife, but you can't change your football team type of stuff. Yep. Yeah. So there is a reason for bringing this up because it's one of my favourite stories and it, it, it is, involves gambling of a sort. But your story about when Liverpool won the Champions League. So, 2005, um, we played the semi-final against Chelsea yep. and um, went through, two-leg thing, but went through courtesy of Luis Garcia's ghost goal. Did it cross yeah. the line? Did it not cross the line? Fuck yeah. off, Mourinho, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And as soon as that result happened, then I was, I've got to get to Istanbul for the final. Don't care what it takes, I've got to get to Istanbul for the final. Yeah. There was concerns about security in Turkey that time, wasn't well, it? it was what two, do you mean that time? It was, uh, <laughs> it was two years earlier, Leeds had played there in a Champions League game and two Leeds fans had been stabbed in Taksim Square. So well, everybody's saying to me, no, no, you can't go, you can't go. It's too That'd be ages. below average for a Leeds game, wouldn't it? Um, or, or some would argue not enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, any Leeds fans? Dirty fucking Leeds. Um, so, did everything I could to get tickets. Tickets were impossible to come by, but the first thing I did was book my flight because then I was pot committed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that enthusiasm. Um, and eventually um, managed to find someone um, through various dodgy websites. I'd buy two tickets. And I think my brother had to go and collect the tickets from this house somewhere in Liverpool. And a mate that I was going to go to the game with me over there, that I used to go to the Liverpool games with when I lived back home, um, was going to meet me in Istanbul. But he hadn't yet managed to get his flight sorted. And flights out of the UK to Istanbul were impossible. People were flying to Sofia, Bulgaria and driving and all kinds. So my mum... My mum then posted the tickets to me in Melbourne so I could have them to take with me. And I was shitting myself about them getting there. But they finally turned up the day before. Um, and But the odd thing was that my mum and her elder sister had come to visit us in Australia. Right. So they'd come for two weeks. <laughs> and the first week was the week before the Champions League final. So they were there. My mum at this stage would have been 62 and my aunt was 20 years older, so she was 82. So she come from the UK, 82 years old. It's a massive adventure, all the rest of it. She's come for two weeks to see us in Australia. The second week, I'm fucking off back to <laughs> Europe. Anyway, the tickets turned up finally the, the Friday before. I left on the Monday, so the last day that the post yeah, was delivering. Yeah, yeah. So we cut that fine. And then I flew Melbourne to Singapore, Singapore, Dubai, Dubai, Istanbul, with these two tickets, yeah. hoping my mate Steve would make it from the UK. Um, at this stage, I knew my mate Steve wasn't going to be able to get to Istanbul. Yeah. Um, so I had this one extra ticket to, to sell. But obviously, two years earlier, a couple of Leeds fans had been stabbed. 
I was a little bit nervous about trying to sell the ticket. Uh, yeah. And eventually I lost my bottle and didn't sell it and kept it. So it landed at Istanbul Airport and then I'm faced with, uh, right, I'm going to have to find somewhere to stay. Because it was, it, was impossible <laughs> yeah. to, it was impossible to find somewhere to stay. Um, and there was some little booth in Istanbul Airport, went in there um, and eventually got a room above a Russian brothel um, <laughs> in Istanbul about above. a mile away from the Grand Bazaar. Above? Uh, Definitely above? Well, <laughs> or, or was it just an unused room for the night? He leased the room for It could bit. have been either. The oddity was, as you looked through your window into a little courtyard, because it was on the inside of the building, and it was a yeah, enclosed, right. just a giant chimney flume, really, yeah. you know, if there was a fire. Um, there was Liverpool scarf hanging down out of most windows. <laughs> um, so anyway, so did the Singapore... Uh, Melbourne, Singapore to Dubai to Istanbul got there on the left on the Monday got there on the Tuesday got chatting to some bloke in Istanbul um, who had gotten the flight in Dubai so had a few beers with him and hung out at the Grand Bazaar and do all the touristy stuff yep. and everywhere you go all the um, all the Turks were fantastic um, and it became very much aware that the Turks were fantastic because Galatasaray or Fenerbahce or Besiktas weren't involved so they didn't oh, right. really care that right. much yep. Now, um, um, it would have been a lot more dangerous. They're Russian teams or Turkish teams? Turkish they're, the, teams they're, yeah. the, they're three teams, but the biggest three Turkish teams and they're right. all from Istanbul. I just wanted to make sure that I've they heard were of Galatasaray. <laughs> Galatasaray. Galatasaray, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, you chat to people everywhere you go, they're all shouting Milan or they're all shouting Liverpool at you, um, yeah. either trying to wind you up or give you support. And it was a great atmosphere and all the rest of it. Um, so it comes the day of the game, go for a few beers in the centre of Istanbul around the Grand Bazaar, met up with this guy again that had come from um, Dubai and had a couple of beers with him. Then we jump in a taxi to get out to the ground. Now the Ataturk Stadium was about an hour outside of Istanbul right. and they hadn't quite finished building it. <laughs> so it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. Jeez. And I don't mean it's like in the middle of a housing estate or it's a long way... It's in the middle of a load of fucking fields. No shit. It's in the Damn. middle of nowhere. And as the taxi was driving us through, they're still painting white lines in the middle of the new road <laughs> that actually gets people to the stadium for the first time. It's amazing how often this happens, though, especially around Olympics. And- yep, yeah. left it to the last minute. Anyway, so you're going through these housing estates um, on the way through to the stadium, and there's high-rises of flats on the outskirts of Istanbul with people obviously don't have a great deal of cash. There's no cars around. It's just hundreds of people. But the streets are three and four deep with kids shouting and waving scars and banging the taxis, and it was awesome. So eventually you see this trail of people walking across the fields to the Ataturk Stadium, (laughs) um, and the traffic's now horrendous. So we jump out of the taxi and join the snake of people walking across for about the last mile to the Ataturk. And you get there, and at all these big events, they've got fan zones set up. Right. And so you go into the Liverpool fan zone, and there's a stage where they'd had some performers, but the Liverpool fans, through their exuberance, had taken over the stage. <laughs> and they're all bouncing up and down on the on the stage, and the, the local Turk girl who was supposed to be performing has come onto the microphone and said, would all the Liverpool fans please get off the stage? The stage <laughs> is going to collapse. And you go, oh no, it's going to be a disaster. Um, and then one of the scousers gets on that grabs the microphone off her. And Shit. Mourinho was manager of Chelsea um, when we beat Chelsea in the semi-final, so we'd knocked them out. He gets on the microphone and he goes, Mr Mourinho, Mr Mourinho, if you're watching, could you record Coronation Street for me? <laughs> <laughs> 
endeared himself to the locals very very it was fantastic fantastic anyway so we trot into the ground um i've got two tickets i've completely lost my bottle in terms of selling one so the guy that i'd met um who'd come over from dubai um i gave him my ticket uh, my spare ticket so we could sit together yeah and then i got his ticket which remains an unused ticket Right, right um so we go into the ground um Walking through to the ground, walking from the fan zone into the stadium, everyone's trying to, what's the team, what's the team? Has anyone heard the team news? Harry Kuehl's playing and Jibrel Sissi's on the bench and Didi Man's on the bench. And everyone's going, oh, fucking Harry Kuehl. <laughs> fucking Harry Kuehl. Fucking Harry. You know, he, he was great for Leeds, but we bought his twin brother who was blind. Yeah, that's where he's going to So... So we go into the game, and um, in the first minute, Paolo Maldini scores for for AC Milan, the quickest goal in the history of Champions League finals, and we're going, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, and then Harry Kuehl breaks a, a hairband or something after 21 <laughs> minutes, and he gets yeah. gets subbed off with a hairband injury. So he um, had something to cheer for. So yeah. <laughs> that gave us hope. Um, and then I think in the last 10 minutes of the second half... Um, first half. Uh, t- last 10 minutes of the first half Hernan Crespo scored twice yeah. um, AC Milan cuts to pieces we're 3-0 down at half time I've spunked the best part of 10k on the trip yeah. and tickets yeah. and flights <laughs> um, and nobody's ever come back from this and it's awful um, at half time seats are starting to get broken and it's a, <laughs> it's a really fucking horrible atmosphere the only plus side is all three goals were at the end I was, so I was level with the 18 yard box on the side right, so oh, and nice. all three goals were at my end right. lovely so that yeah. was a plus oh, and that yeah. was the goal that Milan fans were behind so at half t- time they unfurled a massive banner that covers the entire end Forza, Forza Milan um, or Milano or whatever you know just saying yeah. they're the dog's nuts um I turned to the guy next to me, the other guy, the other side, who I, who I obviously never met, and said to him, you know, at least if we win, it'll be the greatest game ever. And he says, fucking Lazarus wouldn't fucking come back from this. <laughs> uh, not a lot of hope. But then, at that moment then, a few fans at the other end, the Liverpool end of the ground, started singing You'll Never Walk Alone. Yep, right. And it built up and it built up. And I, I feel getting goosebumps now yeah, talking yeah. about it. Um, and you know, three quarters of the ground was Liverpool. Um, and I think it was about 70,000 capacity. So probably about 50,000 Liverpool fans started singing You'll Never Walk Alone. Yeah. So we're three I, nil I down. I guarantee half. you, you can YouTube this. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, the, it's the, the most amazing thing. So three nil down at half time. Your team's getting rogered by one of your Filipino girls, big black dildos. Um, <laughs> and we're th- but we start singing You'll Never Walk Alone. Um, Rumour has it that the um, AC Milan fans were celebrating back in the change room at half time. Anyway, we come out for the second half and a couple of minutes in, or five minutes in, Stephen Gerrard scores. We score three goals in six minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Vladimir Smitsa scores the second, then Xabi Alonso takes a penalty, has the penalty saved and scores the rebound and it's three all. And it's the greatest comeback in the history of fucking anything ever. Um, yeah. um, but to be honest, for the rest of the game, Liverpool was still shit. Um, that we were terrible. Really? We were so bad the entire game, <laughs> other than those six minutes. Um, but inspired by Stevie G, inspired by Jamie Carragher at the back, we get through to full time at 90, 90 minutes and it's three all. We go into extra time and we're backs to the wall. Um, with Jamie Carragher, our centre half, Liverpool 700 gamer, um, is putting his body on the line, sliding in front of everything. <laughs> Um, and then with about 30 seconds left, Andre Shevchenko, 
who at the time was arguably um, the highest regarded centre forward in the world, has a shot, Dudek saves it, the rebound's right a yard out, Dudek's on the ground, Shevchenko's buying in, and he belts the volley. Um, and some and somehow the ball goes over the bar. We have no idea how that happened at this stage, <laughs> but it was it was just a sign. Thirty seconds later, the final whistle goes. Penalty shootout. So all the goals have been down my end. Yep, the penalty yep. shootout is down my end. Ah. Um, and a few of the Milan AC Milan players shot themselves. Pressure got to them. Whatever. Um, Dudek did all his rubber legs, yep. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we won the penalty shootout. Um, which was just truly, truly fucking awesome. So we stayed in the ground for about half an hour, singing our lungs out. Um, and then you come out of the stadium. And I remember the Ataturk Stadium is in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> and you have no idea how you're getting back. But there's a load of buses. There's right. just a thousand buses there. Right. Oh, get on one of these then. <laughs> uh, you have no idea where it's going. And you get in, you get, get on the bus. And I was, I was the last fat bastard on. So the middle doors of Constantine are closed. And I'm peeled against, you know, <laughs> pinned against the door. Um, and for the entire journey back, everybody just sang. Just sang and sang yeah. and sang and sang. Um, and you start getting into the centre of Istanbul. And you don't know quite where you are, but you know you're yeah. in the centre of Istanbul. <laughs> The bus stops, and you go, uh, okay, I'll get off and I'm see where friends. it takes me. I, I must be closer now. Yeah. Um, and I stumbled across my hotel, and it was all fantastic, and back in, it was all great. Um, so the next day, I'm leaving Istanbul, so back to the airport, um, and I check in and go through customs and so on, find a bar in the in Istanbul airport, and on the TV, they're showing the game. And I think, I've got to watch this. I'm going, I was there, but I've got to watch the replay. And figured out how Dudek made that save right at the end. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden, people start going, the Liverpool team's coming through. The Liverpool really? team's coming through. And say, so, oh, right. And people started running. Of course. Uh, yeah. So being the fish that I am, um, <laughs> I follow them and run and run and run. And we run down to some gate, airport departure gate, at the far end of the airport, and everyone's five deep. And the Liverpool team are walking through. And Igor Bishkan, who was a terrible footballer. <laughs> but let's face it, there's a few players in that Liverpool team who have Champions League medals who will be sitting down with grandchildren in years to come saying they were great. They were truly yeah. fucking awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jimmy Traore, Josemi, <laughs> Igor Bishkan. Anyway, um, so Igor Bishkan's got the trophy and he leant back into the crowd to have a picture taken with the trophy. So I put my hand over and touched the Champions League trophy. Nice. That's fucking awesome. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, so then flew back um, from Istanbul to Bahrain, this time Bahrain to Singapore, Singapore to Melbourne. Got back to Melbourne at 7 o'clock on the Friday night. Um, my mum and my aunt and my wife are having dinner at Chaconi's in Crown, yeah. um, when it was still in Crown. So I'm still wearing my Liverpool colours. I'm yeah. ho- uh, horses. Maccabi Diva still hammered um, still, still a little bit hammered walk into the restaurant hey, did you watch it it's brilliant it's brilliant all that stuff and we were served in Chaconis by a waitress that grew up on the same street as Jersey Dudek a Liverpool oh, goalkeeper shit. In an Italian restaurant. What the fuck? What so it's just truly really awesome. That? So there you go. So, and besides coming away with that story, you've also come away with one of the most unique pieces of memorabilia. Yeah. So in your pool room, you've yeah. got... In your jersey room. Yeah. So I've got a few bits of memorabilia, mostly centred around soccer um, or football. And um, I do appreciate you said soccer. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had this made up. So... When I was in Istanbul, killing time on the Tuesday before the game and on the Wednesday morning, um, there's lots of um, 
the city marketing around it hosting the Champions League final. Yeah. And one of the things I bought for 10 euros was a plastic football, which was about 12 centimetres round, 10, yeah. 10 to 12 centimetres round. And you crack this plastic football open and inside was a little Istanbul flag. So it's an Istanbul city flag with the right. motif for right. the Champions League as if because they're hosting uh, yeah. the Champions League yeah. final, so with all the motifs. Yeah. And it unfurls into about two and a half feet by one and a half feet. Right, yeah. So I had that um, so, and I went and found a photographer that had taken professional match pictures. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so mainly the players celebrating and lifting the trophy. Yeah. Um, I've got my used match ticket and an un- my unused match ticket yeah, yeah. Um, for the professional photographs, a little plaque I had written in my Istanbul picture. So the whole thing measures about four feet tall and about three feet wide. It's a very, yeah. very big framed piece, but it's absolutely 100% unique. And yeah. front and centre of the pool room as well. And the best thing is that when your mate from London comes over who didn't end up getting that ticket, right. I'll be polishing the fuck out of that <laughs> every time you're about to play pool. There it is, right yeah. there. That's I'll, what I'll be going to play, take a shot. Hang on a second, a little mark on it. Uh, <laughs> just, just, just dust that little spot off there. Yeah, so I talked to, you know, if, if you speak to my wife or my kids, they'll both admit that I think that was the greatest day of my life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, it, and, and I went for all the reasons that every Man United fan that six years earlier had the opportunity to go to the Champions League final to see Man United against Bayern Munich in Barcelona and decided not to go. The reason I went to Istanbul is I didn't want to have a lifetime of regret (laughs) of not going. And especially the way that game unfolded. Uh, Talk about fairy tales. Yeah, there's no if, buts or maybes about um, debating if you're a true fan or not if you have that story. Especially with the security risks that were taken on just going to Turkey at that time. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it's it's one of those games that I think now there's about half a million people that claim yeah. they were there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I can I can't prove I was there, but I can show you my match yeah. ticket. Yeah, and you can um, prove one person wasn't there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. so what has your mate said? Like ever since, like because obviously uh, he decided not to go for safety I, reasons. I, I haven't spoken to him quite as much. Maybe he's just tried, <laughs> maybe he's just tried to avoid it being rubbed in. But I, I the, this so. whole this whole thing about. Um, you know, it was it was the greatest day. It was the greatest day. Two years later, Liverpool got to the Champions League final again. Yeah. Um, and this time we were playing AC Milan again. Yeah. Um, and it was being held in Athens. So, you know, I've had the amazing experience last time. I've got to go again. Yeah. yeah. The problem is there were four million Liverpool fans that also thought, well, I didn't go to this one. Yeah. <laughs> so every one of them turned up in in Athens. Damn. Um, and I, I went. I've got two tickets, Ooh. paid ridiculous amount of money over the odds, found a slightly ropey hotel. Um, I get there, and it was it was actually really uncomfortable in Athens. So the Turks had been absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, but whether it was the volume of Liverpool fans or whatever it was, but it was a desperation around getting tickets two years later. Yeah. So loads of Liverpool fans turned up without tickets, and the Greek police were starting to panic. Well, all I'm saying is, like, you had a million. Um, Liverpool fans turn up in Greece. I think we found out why their economies failed. <laughs> <laughs> All those scouse guns just nicking shit. <laughs> nothing left. Well, the, the odd thing was they were rob- Liverpool fans were starting to rob from each other um, yeah. because there was that desperation to get tickets to the game. Yeah. So I was texting my brother because I'd flown him the day before my brother and I was texting him saying, don't tell anybody you've got tickets. Yeah. If anybody asks you, tell them you're hoping to get tickets here. But do not let on that yeah. you have tickets. Yeah. Do not show anybody. Do not do anything with them. You have to be, keep it very, very quiet. 
So he gets there. Um, he had flown so, to... So, sorry, you had already secured tickets before we, you got there. And my brother had them. Right. right. So he was bringing them with him from England. So um, I got to Athens before him. He was flying to Athens via Barcelona, which is like doing two sides of a square. Yeah, right. Um, because, again, flights were difficult to yeah, get. Of course, yeah. Um, and we get there and we've had a beer and all the rest of it. We, got, we decide it's quite uncomfortable atmosphere. The stalls in the centre of whatever the main square is in in Athens, I can't remember now, um, were getting turned over and robbed. And it was very, very uncomfortable, completely different atmosphere. Um, so we got a taxi out to the ground, did all the fan zone shit, and then he tried to get into the stadium. And the Greek police, um, as I say, were panicking. So they had riot buses lined up in a giant V to funnel every Jesus. Liverpool fan in with all the full grills and every Greek cop is there with a, uh, an automatic rifle, whether it's an AK-47 or Kalashnikov right, or whatever. It doesn't diagonal, matter. Diagonally <laughs> yeah. across their chest. Then they get on the speaker, and this is a crush. Then they get on the, on the tannoy or the um, mouth tannoy yeah. and say, if you have a ticket, hold your ticket up in your oh, right hand. So you're like, this is stupid. Yeah. Hold your ticket, or they pull you out, and no t- they tear gassed us and all kinds of shit early on. Fuck. So you're holding up your ticket in your right hand, and then all of a sudden you'd hear someone go, "Oi, that fucker's got my ticket! Yeah, yeah, it's been snatched out, of course." Yeah. So now yeah, you get through, and then because it's this funnel, you start getting this crush. And yeah, you know, 1985, Heysel yeah. disaster. Liverpool, Liverpool fans, fans know about this. Yeah. Shit. Liverpool fans yeah. died. Um, uh, not Heysel, uh, obviously fans died, but Hillsborough in. Um, early, early on in 81 or whatever yeah. it was um, 96 Liverpool fans have died in a crush they know what crushes are like this was geared towards a crush but I've always seen those things about Hillsborough or what happened at High School in the Champions League final in 85 and thought I'm big enough and strong enough I'm not going to get crushed yeah. someone, someone next to me is going to get crushed yeah. but I'm big enough and strong enough okay. I'm, 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 not a, I'm not a weak kid when this crush happened you're like fuck yep. me yep. it was genuinely painful and all of a sudden you're thinking Oh, I might be I'm, in a bit of trouble here. I've got yeah. no choice here. I might be in a bit of trouble and there's nowhere I can go. Yeah. And as I say, I was walking with my brother and all of a sudden we're 20 metres apart yeah. and we cannot get closer together. Yeah. Um, you are physically feeling that crush. You're being channeled in. Anyway, manage to get through. You find your seat. You, you get there and you go, Thank fuck for that. I'm in. I still don't feel very comfortable. You sit down, you sit down in your seat. But someone's already in my seat. <laughs> Sorry, mate, that's my seat. Ah, no worries. No worries, mate. I'll get the next one. <laughs> there's 3,000 fans yeah. that got in without tickets yeah <laughs> equally there's 3,000 fans with tickets that are locked outside yeah. um, but everyone's going through and going is anyone sitting there mate <laughs> I, I don't know well, why don't you get a fucking ticket <laughs> like um, last row of the G or something yeah. it, was like, it, it was just and we obviously lost that Champions League final even though we played better than we did two years earlier we lost this one 2-1 um but we were better than we had been two years earlier. Yeah. And then getting out, you kind of go, I'm getting back, I'm getting out as soon as I can. Yeah. Yeah. And so as soon as the final whistle go, and we know we've lost, we're out, we're gone. There's thousands of people, we just took, we just walked in the complete opposite direction to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And we're very fortunate, we managed to hail a taxi and get back to a hotel. So whilst Istanbul was the most amazing experience of the lot, yeah. Athens was a really uncomfortable experience two years later. You know yeah. the team was missing. Harry Kuehl. <laughs> it was missing Harry Kuehl yeah. and his hair bands. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe it's because, like, um, well, I'm just guessing, but in in general, I'd say people would be a bit more wary of um, messing around in Turkey than they would be about messing around in Athens. 
Yeah, I think there's probably some truth in that. Probably got a better chance of getting chopped up and buried somewhere in <laughs> Turkey than, yeah, than in Athens. Well, Midnight so. Express, right? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And so especially like with, if you get a, a buttload of scousers out there, like, if they give them a little inch and they were like, sweet, we're going <laughs> to own this shit. And I imagine it being like the Irish fans following Conor McGregor around a fight. <laughs> he, he put up a compilation video just recently Did he? showing all the Irish fans all through Vegas. Damn. And it's like, it's the same thing. It's, that's exactly what I was thinking of when you're talking about yeah. these things. Like, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. It is just like a wave. And even through. like you talk about the crush, like, the best sort of situation where I can think of being like that was in a mosh pit for Rage Against the Machine. Right. And that was fucking insane. And like you said, you think you're a big person. You are you can be bigger than everyone around you, but you have no say in which way you're going and your feet are planted still because you can't step forwards, left, right, backwards. Yep. But your body is just listing all the way over to the right and the left and there's nothing you can do about yep. it. It's true. It's so true. And yeah, it's, it's a helpless feeling because you think like, I could at least do enough to be able to breathe. But even that is not particularly a choice. Well, I was tr- I was certainly went through a period where in the crush getting into the... Stadium in Athens where I was struggling for breath. Yeah. Uh, and and as, as I said, for, for a brief moment, you're thinking, oh, I'm in a little bit of yeah, trouble. Yeah, this yeah, is not good. This, this is, is out, not good. out of my hands I'm now. Sorry, yeah. I'm going to panic a little bit now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, the, I think the, the Turkish reputation against the Greek reputation may have been part of it. I think the number of Liverpool fans there yeah. um, versus, versus in Istanbul was a part of it. Yeah. I think the, the aggressive Greek police approach was yeah. not a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think the behaviour of the Liverpool fans in general was worse in Athens than it was in Turkey. Yeah. Turkey, everyone went with hope. Um, in Athens, everyone went with a more of a sense of entitlement. Yeah, yeah. And um, I find, especially in that sort of group scenario where you've got a case of group thing, like, from my experience, generally, well, I've only, most of my friends are Liverpool supporters, so any sort of associated with football is generally through Liverpool but it seems to be if you're reasonable to them they'll be reasonable back to you but they've got their own idea of how they're going to have fun and so if you push they'll push back kind of thing so if yeah. you're going to be really militarised with the police and say nah, we're not standing for nothing then they're going to definitely toe the line and push that but I remember when Liverpool had the it was only a friendly or whatever and they had it in Melbourne but they ran amok through all the streets of Melbourne but there were no police saying oh you can't be doing this I remember looking out the window when I was working in Crown Towers that day and like what they say it was a sea of red, it was almost like, obviously literally because not a sea, but your streets were red. Like yeah. they were red the whole way through. But then the aftermath was nothing. Went to the game, had a good time, they went out, spent heaps of money and there was no really harm caused. But yeah. there wasn't that any sort of concerted effort to try and contain or control or dictate what they could or couldn't do. And I think showing that general, just a, a baseline R- of respect, respect that... Yeah. We know you're going to be rowdy, but this is what soccer is. Like, yeah. And we know what to expect. If you go outside of that, then yeah, you're suddenly going to be in trouble. But you're free to have your, your fun in the room of soccer, which is what you come here to enjoy. And I think that goes a long way with um, having, if people do sort of fall out of line within that group, there'll be someone there to pull them back in line and say, hey, well, I you think, know, and I think doing? generally Liverpool fans are really good at that. Yeah. Um, because they know what happens when it goes wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's a working class city and and the old, older, more traditional values that come come from that blue collar yeah. environment. Um, the challenge with um, with Athens was so many people were there and feeling desperate for a ticket. Yeah. More people were going to miss out on a ticket than, than had yeah, a ticket. Yeah. So it, I think it led to, to people behaving differently. Yeah. Um, you know, when I when I was in Istanbul and I chat to other Liverpool fans, it was, wow, you've come such a long way. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in Athens and chat to other Liverpool fans, it was, 
you haven't been to any game this season. What the fuck are you doing with a ticket? Right. Yeah. It was that level of resentment because yeah. I wasn't a season ticket holder anymore. I live in the, lived in Australia. Australia yeah. Yeah. Um, so what am I doing taking a ticket from one of them? Yeah. 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 So. I wonder if West Brom ever make the Champions League final. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if I'd buy a ticket. <laughs> I think I'll die wondering that one. Yeah, I, I think it's unlikely, but you never know. You never know. Leicester City are up there now, right? See, it's a, it's a good thing about being a Hawthorne supporter. If you miss out on grand final tickets, just hang around. Get yeah, there's, there's, always next, there's always next to you. There's right? always next to you, yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll pull it back to gambling. Um, there was one thing you mentioned. Um, has anybody ever offered um, anything besides... Uh, cash for chips <laughs> yeah. but the, the funniest thing is, is that all this dodgy stuff usually happens on the cheapest games yeah of course it does so I remember <laughs> doing the big wheel once and so um, and the big wheel is obviously the chocolate wheel or whatever you want to call I, it I can't think of a a, a dodgy like I don't know what, what's the word like like just, a more carny game yes than big the more wheel more carny like, game you, you feel it's like, the worst odds in the casino isn't it the big I wheel I think so yeah yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure you it is I feel like even if you win, you should get a stuffed toy. Yeah. But like like there are people who have their systems for Baccarat where they'll keep score, there are a few nut jobs that keep a system for the big wheel. And they'll swear black and blue that it's going to pay of odds. Course. It's going to come up soon. Soon. But anyway, I remember this, this one lady. She's, I think she's an old Chinese lady. And she's not playing, but she's over... Um, this is in Adelaide. She's got her back to where the pokies are. And she's sort of looking over. And in between like spins, she sort of comes over, just sort of looks around, sets back. And eventually, after maybe two or three spins, she comes over. She's like, "Hey, hey, boy, boy." I'm like, huh? "What? Uh, no more bets." Uh, she's like, oh, don't worry. So right, after I've paid my bets, "Hey, boy, boy." I'm like, "What?" Goes, I'll give you sex for chips. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "What?" She goes, "I'll give you sex for chips." I'm like. Do I guess negotiate the price? Or what? <laughs> so, the only way this story could be more pathetic is if you worked at a fish and chip shop. <laughs> <laughs> or McDonald's. <laughs> or if they were training chips. <laughs> well, we had that story, well, we? had that story yeah, last that story. time. A lot of people did get sex in the chips. last one. But the funniest thing was is that if you're going to try and, and work the angle, you're better off being a waitress. Because there, right. there, there was this one waitress and she was stunning. Like, just a knockout. Actually, I'll take it back a step. There used to be a, a bar manager who was head of Crown. Yep. At the and so anyway, he, he'd hired hotties. And he actually got fired under dubious circumstances as well. But he was actually a really good bar manager because he knew... Isn't it funny how those two go together? Yeah. He knew when to when to just let, let you go and just leave it. Yeah. And obviously, it's not hard to give someone a drink. So if you're good looking, you're probably going to make more tips, which is good for everybody's working there. Gets their spirits up and whatever. Uh, Mythbusters tested this actually. Oh really? Um, and uh, with uh, what's her name, the redhead Carrie? Yeah. Is it Carrie? Yeah, yeah, um, Carrie, yeah. I think so. Anyway, because um, she did it in a coffee shop. Okay. And uh, you know she tried it, and then she patted her bra and see if bigger tits means bigger tips. And right. it turns out it does. Um, you will get more tips from men, and even more from women. No shit. Yeah. Oh, there I, mean, you go. I mean, it's a very small sample size, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry, yeah. continue. These girls were good looking as well as having big tits yeah. too. So, I mean, they're probably sitting on a gold mine. So, you can understand why he'd be getting those people through the doors. Um, but anyway, I remember, obviously, for some of them, they just want money. And that's all they care about is tips, money. That's their complete goal. And if they can hook up with a rich fucking gambler, sweet. Don't <laughs> Home care. Host. That's it. That's my, that's my parents would be happy as fuck. <laughs> and sorry, this one chick, she, she was just a whore, really. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't even all about the money. But anyway... She'd hooked up with a player who'd, who'd given her, allegedly, money. Well, actually, no, not allegedly. Yeah, definitely. Sorry. <laughs> well, actually, allegedly, and we'll, I'll get to that, um, giving her, her, her two grand for 
sexual favors i'm guessing they fucked or something under some somewhere but at one point about two months later this dude's wife comes in and she's found out somehow and so in the middle of the mahogany room she's gone up to this waitress and approached her and they're speaking viet so obviously there's someone to translate what's going on right in the place and so this lady's yelling at her going you fucking whore you fuck a slap you fuck my husband you know he f- you fucking slept with him for two grand like didn't you admit it minute she's like what what oh, i don't know i don't know she's like, what do you mean you don't know she goes I haven't checked my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just like, wow. <laughs> There's someone who's yeah. either got incredible balls or just no... Or Dharma's fucking <laughs> dog shit. Dharma's dog There's shit. no awareness whatsoever. But just the fact that, hang on a second, yes, I slept with your husband, but for two grand, I'm not sure yet. Like, I'm still waiting for the payout on this one. <laughs> I say, There's only one thing that's uh, in contention there. Yeah, but any other dodgy waitresses, waitress stories? Um, oh, there's always plenty. I can't think on the top of my head, but I got plenty. Okay, uh, the other thing is that because you talk about the high rollers and they get like that life of being treated to everything and whatnot, um, and what p- people don't know is that a big thing for casinos is trying to get interstate players because generally in each casino there's one per state except for Queensland where you got a couple. Yeah, um, Sydney's going to have a couple soon. Um, but, it's in a bit of bother, isn't it? The Bangaroo or Bangalore or whatever it's uh, called. I don't even know. I haven't kept a date with it. But I know they're originally trying to keep it for internationals, which was never going to be a long term. I think they were going to put it in there, try and bleed uh, Star Drive from their high rollers and then just buy them out and take over the whole market. Um, whether it works out or not, I, yeah, I think I'm the date's really been sure. put back, certainly. It's not yeah. quite going to schedule. And it's like the Ataturk Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> That's not like, build it and they will come. It seems yeah. like it's built yeah. nowhere. They'll walk up. And especially a lot of his politics, greasing the right palms, yep. that sort of stuff, and that goes a long way. But um, I was yeah. in. You talk about greasing the right palm. I was in Vegas the day the Venetian opened. Oh yeah, and yeah. we were stood outside waiting for it to open. And there's a few of the oi polloi guests there. And it was supposed to open at eleven o'clock at night. Wouldn't it be great if the opening they just pulled a string and the blinds they just come up, <laughs> just come up. Yeah. <laughs> Venetian, Venetian blinds. blinds. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it was supposed to open at eleven o'clock, and Sophia Loren was walking around, and but we all the minions behind the um, the barricades and it was two o'clock in the morning when it finally opened and the story was that at the last minute the um, fire certificates had been revoked <laughs> um, and they needed to pass a, lot of, a couple of last minute tests wow. to get the fire certificate so it's amazing they can get those last minute tests done yeah. you know yeah. at, at that hour yeah especially the union run them test too <laughs> I don't think you know a casino like that three hours it's going to open three hours late because someone's forgotten to bring the chairs in or something. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly. Or, yeah. yeah, one of the fire alarms didn't have batteries in it. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, did we, did we buy cards? Yeah. <laughs> anybody, anybody That's a real cards? He's got the cards. He's got the keys. <laughs> Where'd I put the fucking keys? <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah. So, if you're an interstater, like, it's a big thing to get interstate people into your casino because the locals are your bread and butter. They've got no other casino to go to. So, if they go to the casino, they go into yours. And so that's why they offer uh, commission play chips to um, interstaters. But one way to exploit this for anyone actually listening is that if you deposit 10 grand into a casino account, they'll give you the works treatment for the first time you do that. Like they'll pick you up the limo from the airport, have champagne, give you a really nice room, treat you out to dinners and drinks and everything, hoping that you dump that 10K. But there's no obligation for you to spend a cent over the tables. So if you want to get that treatment for just a once-off and you've got a spare 10K sitting around, you say, yeah. Yeah, all you got to do is deposit into an account and they'll give you the whole works treatment. You won't get away with it twice because obviously <laughs> after you burn it once, they're going to be like, all right, he's not giving a shit. But 
it is a way that they're willing to you put that out there in the hope that they're going to have a new player that's going to go in. And for them, the real outlay isn't a whole lot. Like no. Cost of a tank of gas and you know some meals that uh, pretty much they're making back in the rent, whatever they charge in silks and cocoa anyway. Either way. Say, and the upside is, you know, they'll do that to, let's say, 50 players that don't spend the money. Yeah. And then they'll get one who covers And all makes it all up, yeah. And, yeah. Another way is that you don't let a Mr. X just slip through the cracks yeah. and not know who they are as well. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really a big part of that to do with it. God, I wonder, you know, who was responsible at that time if they're still there. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the first year or whatever when um, Mr. X was running around. Yeah. I'm not actually sure, to be honest. Yeah. But I know he was really, really not impressed with the treatment he got when he walked in that door. All the big gamblers um, tend to be male. Is there any big female gamblers that come in on their own or, or not, you know, like uh, Barbie, you know, with a husband and that kind of stuff? Or is yeah. it just, it is just literally, it's it's a, a man's game? Generally, it's the men, but there are a couple of females. I remember this one chick from Malaysia. She was Chinese Malay and... I'm not sure what the prefixes are for someone who's um, uh, like, you know, they've got Mr. and Mrs. and you've got Doctor and you've got yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. For them, there's one called Dato, which is someone, I'm not sure what it means, but apparently someone who's rich and above you in the caste system. And right, yeah. But generally it's reserved for men. But this woman, she wanted to be known by that. It was Dato, whatever her name is. I think that's, like, there's a female one and a male one, but she wanted to be known by the male one or whatever. Okay. And um, she'd come in with a couple of guys that weren't a husband. I mean, obviously work associates. And but the thing is, she was the she was a cunt. She was like <laughs> the fucking worst because she'd have maybe six people betting at a table. And the thing is, usually you have a table minimum for these people, so you can't bet anything less than twenty five k up yep. to a maximum of six hundred k or whatever. But you can get um, personal limits. So if they got a friend come along who doesn't have much cash, they just want to bet a hundred bucks a hand. And they get a little plaque in front of them that says personal limit, so the surveillance can look down and see that see they, they got their own limit. They look on the um, computer what box is sitting, who they are. And they can piece it all together and understand why that sort of thing is going on. But for the supervisors, it all gets put under one card because these people aren't the, um, the card holder and the person who's that in there. So they don't have a program set up for them. And because they're playing commission play chips, they have to um, associate each bet with whoever the card holder is with the CP chips. Yeah. And so once a hand's done, they've got to add up all the bets into one bet in order to enter into the computer because the rest of the people don't have cards because yeah, they're yeah. sort of there as, as friends or whatnot. And so... Obviously, it takes time to add up, you know, 52,700 plus fucking, you know, 1,200 and whatever it is. And it might take, you know, 30 seconds or whatever. They can look at it. And so as a dealer, generally, when the losers, you'll pull them off the layout and put them just in front of you until the supervisor, you know, will give you a little yap or whatever and put them in. It's just sort of courtesy of this teamwork. That's what it is, you know. It makes their job easier, makes your job easier. It all works out fine. But she was just not having that at all. Yeah. Just not. Why you do that? It's offensive. Why, you know, I lose the bet and you put it out there to see how much I lose. I'm like, we're, we're seeing how much you lose so we can give you back your commission. Like, that's, yeah. that's what you're trying to get. Anyway, one of the supervisors, Mario, he was a fucking champ. Um, he wasn't champ. The he, champ. he wasn't, he wasn't champ. the champ. He, he was a champ. champ. Yeah. He was bald. So obviously he just shaved his head because he's got a receding hairline. Right. This lady, she's pretty thin on top too. She's like, I want you to leave. And he's like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, she'll bold, you bad luck. I fucking hate bold people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, dude next to us bold. Dude, that's why I was bold. And we're like, you're surrounded by bold people, man. Like, what the fuck? Well, there's a problem. Yeah, well, that's, that's why she was running bad. Yeah. But the funny thing was that after that, I got her to come in on a day. Well, I didn't get her to come in, but she came in yeah, on a yeah. day by herself. 
where I could just talk to her just one on one. Yeah. So eventually I got around onto my side. I was sort of like, you know, and these people just want to have their ego stroked. Yeah. And so I was telling her, I said, look, you know, you lose them, but you're actually playing really well. Like you look at the the score and you look at what you bet. You bet the right bet, just didn't turn out for your, you know, your way. You know, you showed heart. She's like, oh, okay, yeah. And so then uh, friends come in. Yeah, I lose him, but I show heart. <laughs> I'm like, I got that straight up Phil Ivy. <laughs> like you said, you just recycle the jokes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I play. I, I, there's no famous people, obviously thin on the ground that I've played against at my stakes, but I did spend a few hours on the same table as Sunil Gavaskar's wife last year. Okay. And she was de- absolutely delightfully uh, yep. lovely. Guaranteed it. Yeah, she was yeah. fantastic. She was lovely. Um, she was obviously well made up and so yeah. on, and she's just burning time. She enjoys playing poker. She doesn't need the cash or anything. Yeah, she's yeah. doing it for the competition. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Wouldn't, um, wouldn't and eventually she let on that she was married to a cricketer and because it was during whatever whoever was over here at the time whether India or yeah uh, Son of Gavaskar was commentating so it wasn't necessarily India yeah um, and she was awesome and then she let on who her wife who her husband was and then she started talking sharing stories about um, being with Bradburn and the boardroom at Adelaide oh, really? wow. and so on Damn. she was fantastic she was just the type of woman you would love to be your mother yeah you know yeah. she was yeah. delightful and, and especially with people who come from that world Generally, it's the other way around. You know, yep. they just—they've already had that sort of 10, 15 years of conditioning of you can get away with being a cunt. Yeah. Yep. So, I don't know why, but when you said Sonal Gavaskar's wife, I automatically thought I bet you she's the perfect lady. Yeah, she yeah. was. She just was absolutely for some reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there are a lot of Indian players like that. Uh, it's only the corrupt ones that seem to be cunts. If that makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah, legit, legit ones seem to be all right. Even the Pakistanis were the same. Imran Khan, you know, it's pretty hard to hate that bloke, isn't it? Yeah. And he's done good things for their communities and whatnot. I mean, I haven't kept up to date with it, but... Uh, I know he's a politician and yeah, a long-term politician. It seems like he's the not only, only non-corrupt politician that's going around there. Even that, you know, might not be true. Say, it's, a, it's a low bar. Could be relative, yeah. yeah. So with Sonal Gavaskar's wife, you just felt that she was... Um, very old school co- colonial British yep. type yeah, yeah. Indian lady like old Maharaj or something yeah. <laughs> she, um, she's seen some shit <laughs> yeah. she would have seen some shit yeah. she, she yeah. knows where the good times are I remember seeing the doco on the old Maharaj palaces um, in India about how they still keep their British heritage even with the menu like the menu is the right. same that was from back when um, I don't even know what the story was the history of, of India um, but they've kept like this sort of colonial British um, it's almost like romanticism about yeah, certain yeah. areas and certain buildings where they've well, maintained yeah. them yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's the same exists in Singapore in Hong Kong as well yeah. so went to the Tiffin Club which is oh, uh, a curry house or curry restaurant Indian restaurant oh Tiffin in, is those yeah, things so, aren't they yeah, yeah right. so yeah. Tiffin's for carrying curries yeah, yeah. and the Tiffin Club is a curry restaurant in Raffles Hotel in Singapore. Oh, really? Um, and it's just, sure. you know, it's it's cl- very colonial English. You know, thick yep. white cotton, 500 threads, yep. Egyptian cotton tablecloths, and yep. silver cutlery, and incredibly attentive service, and so on. So basically but their version of TGI Fridays. Their version of TGI Fridays. <laughs> but for me, it's the cheapest way I could get some Raffles eating experience yes, as yeah, well. Yeah. So it was 80 bucks or something. I'm going, yeah. yes, win, win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was after I played poker there, so yeah, that's, that's the cheapest way to do it. You thought if someone's going to blow it out my ass, at least I'm going to get something. For it. <laughs> um, you remind me when you talk about people that you meet over the table. Um, 
there's uh, when I was in Sydney, um, online poker it, it it was fun when it started, but you you miss the the banter and stuff yep. like that, yeah. and that's yeah. what you're really looking for is yeah. fun. It's well chips as, in hand. Yeah, and it, if you um, you know you want to feel the cards and, and yep. see them like that, and it's the when you see somebody across the table and read them, but yeah. more of you just you want to have fun. Yeah. Um, so I actually because um, oh, I wanted to play home games, but I didn't know hardly anybody in Sydney. And all the people that I met through working at the video store and that kind of shit um, weren't interested. And oh, have... What about the guy that liked Pokemon? Yeah, I, I wasn't prepared to go all in with that. <laughs> um, so anyway, I actually went to, uh, there was like homepokergames.com.au or some shit like right. that. You try and find games. And I remember like, I found one, you know, in the next suburb over and I was in uh, Parramatta in these days. Um, I remember the first time I went there, I took, you know, like 40 bucks cash and emptied out all my, you know, uh, credit cards and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Like, Let's just find out what it's like. So you know, they're just, they're guys like me you know, and yeah. just looking for a fun. So, um, and through that, I met a, f- a few guys that uh, I kept up playing poker with for years. Um, and one in particular, you know, it's one of my good mates, Billy. Um, and Billy was uh, mid thirties. Uh, so I, I was mid twenties. He was a mid 30 um, Turkish Muslim father of three. And I got on with him like a house on fire. Um, so, and I still talk to Billy um, today. Um, but some of the times, like, he, he was the guy that um, uh, was always there to, if, if the table wasn't having fun, he'd try and make the table have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't matter if it cost him money to do it. It's like, everyone's going to have a good time. Yeah. Um, you, you do stupid things like there was one hand where, um, you know, uh, you like raise blind, plea for it. Straddle. I think it might have even started with a straddle. And he goes, yeah, I'm blind. Don't worry about it. I haven't even seen my cuts. So then he's uh, he's raised blind pre-flop. I'm like, okay, Billy, yeah, that's that's pretty game. And then he's decided uh, somebody else has come out and betting. He goes, I'll call you blind. Like, <laughs> yeah. All right. And we're only playing, uh, I think, 50 cent dollar. So yeah. he's up to like six or seven bucks at this stage. <laughs> and then the flop comes. He goes, I'm going to check blind. <laughs> and then someone goes, oh, I've got to bet out. He hasn't looked at his hand now. He goes, fold. <laughs> so. Blind. He straddled, raised, <laughs> called, and folded blind. Yeah. <laughs> Can like, you get his number? I've got a seat for him. <laughs> he just did it because that's the story. Was, was he the waitress or what? Did he wrap cards? It was at his house too, so it's not like he was in danger or anything like that. I'm trying to get it back. He just said, this is the story I'm going to get. Yeah, and that's fair enough. I mean, because... There's those sort of stories you remember. You don't remember the yeah, I raised you know, two bucks and yeah, folded yeah, in. Let's say let's say it cost him fifteen dollars. Yeah, you get you he's get got, 50, he's got much more than fifteen dollars worth of value. I've got more than fifteen dollars yeah. worth of value, and I was yeah. just sitting at the table. Because especially at home games is when you get a lot of these stories as well. Yeah, you do the stupid things yeah. like that. And, yeah, um, like the way we do calls with no cards at all. <laughs> I, I've seen people bluff. Yeah, and they go, oh, actually, I. I I folded pre-flop. Yeah. Like, well, mate, you earned it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. yours. Take the winnings. There was once, uh, Dunks, you and I were playing at, uh, at Crown, once that I remember. Um, and this was after you'd gone through your initial stages and you started to actually understand what was going on. Um, and I remember uh, you and I are sitting together and, um, and we're you know, surveying and, and we always like to post boredom and talk about, you know, yep. should, should I have done that on turn? And in this one particular hand, I think we might have been the blinds. Um, and everyone else has folded. And it's, so it's just you versus me. And we're like, well, you know, I'm not trying to take your money. Don't really yeah. care. So the flops come out, whatever. And we're going, oh, check, check. And then I think check the turn before it's even been dealt. And the river's come out there and I've actually hit a hand. And I remember I thought, well, I can't 
check it turn, down. I don't, can't turn over a nutty hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've yeah. got a mate hand. Yeah, I, I, I can't do it because that. I mean, it already looks pretty dodgy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I thought I've got to do something here, but we can't table talk either. So the conversation went like this: You go, uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> check, bet, call, straight, cunt. <laughs> <laughs> No idea what you had, but it was it was worth. I, I, no, prob- no. I probably had a third pair. No, you had nothing because you said later on I paid ten bucks just so I could call you a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the offer still stands, by the way. <laughs> it is an old maxim where I mean, you're not playing with each other, but you're yeah. not necessarily playing against each other. Uh, so I certainly went through a few years of this where you'd, if you end up heads up with a mate, you'd soft play it. Yeah. So it's not. Brutal collusion. collusion, but it's yeah. certainly soft play each other. Um, the problem was the longer I've played there, the more people I know at Crown, and then the more people end up soft playing, and it, you just kind of got a bit silly. So I, I went full circle, and now I play. I've like, been very upfront with everybody. Yeah. I play as if you anybody else. If I bluff you, so be it. I'm not going to make promises well, not to bluff you. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you're soft playing with the entire table. What yeah. are you doing? All I'm doing yeah. is giving money at Crown. Yeah. That's yeah. what I always say. If, if you've met them at the casino, they're not considered friends, like in that sense where. If you only know them in that gambling sense, it's all fr- on the table. Like yeah. you're free to, you know, yeah, well, each other's pockets. That's it's all good. Is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if, if it's if mate, the old mate you grew up with and went went known since year three, generally I still soft play against yeah. them. You know what I mean? If you happen to be at the same table. Well, I mean, if we were playing chess, and you know, you're still going to set a trap. I yeah. mean, because yeah. that's what the game is. Yeah. No, I'm certainly no no more soft play, and all my friends uh, I play with now. No, it's it's full on. I'm if I'm. If I'm three betting you, I might be doing it light or I might be doing it nutty. Yeah, it's yeah. not always just going to be with aces. Yeah, um, there's uh, something else funny we used to do at our home games, like when you know, we were playing small limits. You know, like I said, fifty cents a dollar, um, and uh, occasionally, you know, if you've got a bad run of hands, you, you can be sitting there for a long time just folding away. So you'd always do things to keep yourself entertained. And we started betting on an all red or an all black flop. Yeah. So we called it Africans and Indians because you know we're. Racist words, cuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it got to the point where, um, a bit like high stakes poker, where their um, magic cards or what, what you call that prop, you know that prop bet where you got you, your card. Yeah. So uh, on the on the flop. On the flop. So yeah, I, yeah. I play that at home games. Mine's yeah. the king of hearts, right? So the king of hearts right. comes on the flop. Everyone I'm playing against has to give me five bucks. Right. If there's another king on the turn, it has yeah. to be ten. If there's a third king on the river, it has to be twenty. Right. Um, but if you remember high stakes poker, the first season. It almost ruined the game. Yeah, well, it did. That's because all they were Greenstein and Negreanu and so on were keeping score and more yeah. con- more interested in yeah. Elia yeah. Lezra. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So our Africans Generous. and Indians game, it got you know, it was first it was me and Billy again. We just you know keeping ourselves entertained. We're betting a dollar you know each time, and if it was an all red flop, then it doubled. Yeah. Um, and then you know somebody else goes, oh, I want in on this, <laughs> you know, like the next week. Yeah. And then once I think I had like four people playing Africans and Indians. Yeah. And we're like, Jesus Christ, mate. All right, I'm playing with everyone. you got no fucking choice. Everyone, I'm on red. And I come up black. I'm like, right, I'm paying all your fucking double. I'm never playing again. I've never played it again. Never. Um, so that was, I don't know, let's say 2005. Um, so about eight or nine years later, I've gone back down to uh, the Crown Poker Room. It is now offered of the table. Not anymore. It's gone now. Oh, it's, it's gone, gone now. now. Flop it? chase. Oh, really? Flop chase, yeah. Um, so they're paying seven, seven to one. Seven, seven to one on a, you could bet an all red or an all black flop. Oh, I okay. couldn't believe it that they'd offer that dodgy shit there. So I actually took a photo of it and sent it to Billy and said, we should have patented this shit. Yeah. So I, I posted a couple of pictures of stacks occasionally on 2 plus 2 
and that's been in the background. Yeah, and gone, and pe- people have gone, holy shit, you can bet on the flops. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know for some, I know on Baccarat, definitely, the betting between um, players, uh, like that is called insurance betting, especially when you're trying to um, more or less cover your own spread. So you start selling off your stake of winning. So let's say you've got uh, a total of six on the hand that you're playing and the other player's got a, a four or something. You'll say, look, um, I'll give you three to one odds that I get seven, eight, nine or something like that. So that you might have 500 bucks on there and they've got, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. And so you'll start softening their odds, but obviously getting, um, covering your spread. Did I explain that right? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Yeah, if you get my gist. And so that's what I'll have on the tables, those signs in order for language saying you're not allowed to insurance bet because that's what happened was that people would be squeezing the cards and they'd be doing their side betting for longer <laughs> than they're actually squeezing the cards. And so all the betting action would happen on the side betting, not actually with people betting on the table. So it wasn't getting raked. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so a lot of times you're holding up this game for ages and they're betting like five times as much more just on their own little side bets because they find that more fun than actually putting it over the table and yeah. just losing the casino. We used to have a lot of those little side bets, wasn't it? That if you won I a hand, love those yeah, side it cost bets. me a fucking fortune. Not six three. Win a hand with six three was for ten bucks. Um, crack aces, or crack get aces, delta aces. Yes. or get aces. Yeah, and now there's something interesting that came out of that too because that was I remember one time we we're at uh, playing at Crown, and uh, you had that look where you know if you got delta aces. It was ten bucks. Yep, that's right. And I remember you got dealt aces, and you know did your betting as well, um, and then it got to you know you won without showdown. Yep. And um, you went. Oh. I said, no, if you show one player, you got to show everyone. Yep. And Duns goes, I got aces. I go, don't show. It's all right. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. And, and you were like, really? Wait, <laughs> just, okay, we'll take your word for it. And I've always said that's how our poker players I can trust like that. Yeah, um, and there's it's so um, relieving, uh, and I got that from the home games in Sydney, that we we had that trust. It's like, okay, that's what it is. I, yeah. I don't need to question it. It's just, and they never, well, their thing was always, I'd never, um, if they went back on it, that's just bad karma, and you don't want to, yeah, you know, um, anger the karma gods at the poker table. It was the same as winning a hand with six three, right? Yeah, you, yeah. if you if you could push someone off with your six three, you never had to show it. Yeah, um, but. Um, at a poker table, whilst it is a game of deception, I genuinely believe that people inherently tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah, so if you say to someone, did you have it? And they say, yes, I believe you. Because yeah. um, I, th- I think instinctively people want to tell the truth. Yeah. Um, so if you ask someone about their hand and they give, and they say something positive about their hand, um, it's, it's a very reliable tell. I, know, yeah. I got caught out once, um, at a, again, at a home game with some other guys where, um, you know, I made a big bet and somebody um, was thinking about calling it and they've asked, oh, you know, w- will you show me? You know, if I fold, will you show me? Yeah. And I've gone, yeah, of course I will. And a couple of other players who are a little bit more experienced have gone, yeah, as long as you fucking fold, he'll show you. Don't yeah. worry about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just fold. He yeah. wants you to fold. Just yeah. fold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I had to... Uh, so now I've got a little thing. I, I always say whenever that happens, because no matter what you have, I want you to fold. See, the uh, the other best response I've heard to that is, "Will you show me if I if I call? Will, will you show me if I fold?" And um, the, the the one or two other responses is, "I might not show you even if you call." <laughs> or, or or the other one that puts it puts the onus back. How would you like me to answer that question? Yeah. yeah. And then, oh. Yeah. Or you go, what would which one would your friend choose? Yeah. The old, uh, you know, that old... Double, uh, double. Double, double. Yeah.
All right, I reckon we've got time for one more. You got one more story you want to pull out? Of, uh, yeah, no, whilst, whilst you're reading through that, I'll, um, it's not a personal story I was involved with, but one of my biggest frustrations watching poker on the telly now yeah. is some players take an inordinate amount of time to make a decision. Yeah. And they are online yeah. players. So yeah. they are used to making decisions in, in 15 seconds. 10, yeah. 15 seconds every time. But it comes through a live environment and they go through their fucking ritual that goes on and on and on. And Yevgeny Timoshenko is one that is horrifically, notoriously slow. Yeah. Um, and it was last year or the year before, two years ago or three years ago, he entered into the 100K tournament. And just as he sat down, he, he realised that the 100K tournament was a shot clock tournament. Ah. So you had to make a decision in 30 seconds every time. Um, and he tried to deregister himself. <laughs> really? <laughs> Jesus. And he was told, tough shit. You registered, you can't deregister yourself. And then he won it. Yeah. Oh, so you kind, of, you kind of go, yeah. This if there is any- show of t- time you take is purely unnecessary, totally yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. Um, I remember like Negrano saying, it's different if you're going through in your head like the history of okay, he did that on that hand, that hand on that street, he did that, and this is the couple of possibilities. Or if you're thinking, should I call? Should I call? I think I should call. Because there's, yeah. there's difference between the two. One yeah, is just, fundamental difference. You're not doing anything. The other one is you're actually thinking. Well, the other one is people say, you, you can see some people s- that they've got a decision to make and they're going, one, two, yeah, three. Yeah. They're counting up to 20 before they fold. Fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> you know? Especially if you're paying a fucking time charge. Or the the level's going up. Or the other one, people bet the river. Even the levels I play, people bet the river and they get check raised. And they sit there for 30 seconds waiting for the dealer to say, you're yeah. out of time before yeah. folding. I know within half a second they're folding. Yeah. And they yeah. know within half a second yeah. they're folding. Yeah. But they're just trying to sh- save face. There yeah. is no yeah. face to save. Just fold your fucking hands. Exactly. It do- and it, it's stupid trying to save face too because no matter how quickly you fold, you are folding. You are still folding. We know you got caught. Yeah. Like, everyone yeah. knows you got caught. It yeah. d- doesn't change if it takes you 20 seconds to fold or, or one second to fold. Yeah. yeah. We all know the same result. Yeah. And I, I find you're... Like you said, if you wait there and you're sitting there, you can tell when someone's waiting to fold because of the way they act. Yeah. They're not yeah. sitting there. Work. You can tell when someone's calculating and when someone's just chewing up time. And the thing is, I find it's almost like more valuable if you can fold in the reasonable same amount of time that you would call or do anything else. And I think those are the little idiosyncrasies you have to be aware of at the poker table because I think people pick up on them. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Where your demeanor when you're giving people a chance to observe you when they know you're going to fold will give away a tell that might be yeah. there in like yeah. a 10 second frame where they're trying to figure out if you got it or not. And then you might be bluffing, you know, on after the river or something, after the flop or something like that. Tell you one more story about um, running poker. We might wrap it up. We're getting getting up there. Um, I used to run one of the pub pokers um, as a bit of uh, cash on the side yeah. um, when I was living in Sydney. And I was running in this one pub um, and there was a particular player one, on this one occasion. He was a middle-aged uh, Kiwi. Um, and his wife was sitting next to him at the table. So these are essentially free entries, but you can win drinks and yeah. points that go into... Yeah, win a meat tray or something. Yeah, um, <laughs> you can win tickets to the World Series if, you know, out of yeah. all the Sydney and all that kind of gear. Anyway. If you're the best free roller in the country. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Um, so, you know, on this one particular hand, I'm watching it because we're not allowed to deal, but I'm watching to make sure everything's kosher. Um, so... A new player with a big stack has just moved to their table. We've closed the table, he's just moved in, and he has the big stack. Um, so he's come around, you know, and he's, he's bet pre-flop, and uh, our Kiwi friend, he's called. Um, and like I said, his wife's sitting right behind him, um, and that's important later. Uh, uh, flop comes. Another big bet from the big stack, he's called him again. Turn, same thing. And then on the river, the big stack's gone all in. And uh, this uh, uh, Kiwi gentleman, he's, he's had a few beers by the stage, so he goes, he's got nothing. He's bluffing. I know he's bluffing. Mm. He's got nothing. He's got absolutely nothing. I call. And he took that amount of time. I go, okay, good call. Turned over his hand. He had 10-7. Hadn't hit. What? It was good. And it was good. Whoa. <laughs> All right. Now, the reason his wife was sitting next to him was to tell him what cards he had because he was 100% blind. Oh, no shit. As in, could not see, had never seen, had a guide dog and a cane. Jesus And he Christ. goes, it's the best call I've ever seen. Even though it was uh, a free roll. Yeah. But he's called with 10 high, the bluff on the big stack. Um, he, he went in to win that night. And I, I think I bought him a beer anyway, because I thought, yeah, man, that's, that's fucking impressive. <laughs> You're blind. <laughs> um, I think that might wrap it up then. We're, yeah, we're up there. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, thanks that. again. My pleasure. Thanks, Thanks De- gentlemen. Degenerate dunk, dunk dunks. <laughs> Sorry, I'll yep. All right, cheers. Cool. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.